Cocoa Crew Podcast is hosted by Cyber Ears. If you are serious about your podcast hosting needs, you should check out Cyber Ears. Whether you are a podcaster, a radio host, a musician, a narrator, an audiobook author, or simply a school, church, corporation, or anyone else with an audio recording that needs to be hosted or distributed, you should check out CyberEars.com. Unlimited bandwidth, fast, reliable, and rugged servers with no hidden fees. CyberEars, your audio, your terms. It's a blast from the past. Please listen carefully. Welcome to the Coco Crew Podcast. A delicious adventure into the world of retro computing news and information. Featuring the Tandy Color Computer. Hey, you got your Coco 3 yet? Coco. Welcome, Coco Cruisers. This you are listening to episode 27 of the Coco Crew Podcast. One of your hosts, John Linville. I am joined by my two regular compatriots, Neil Blanchard. Say hello, Neil. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and the lovely and talented Myro or Mike Rowan. Hello, Mike. Hello, everybody. <laughs> All right. How is everyone doing? It, uh, we are proceeding through the year, fast approaching uh, Sandy Assembly, getting sure to the next Cocoa Fest as well. And the next Cocoa Fest is now, what, eight months away? Wow. And, of course, Sandy uh, Assembly, or by the time you listen to this at least, will be about one month away, getting very close. <laughs> are you guys excited? Yeah, I'm, I'm well, very excited, but uh, time is going too fast. <laughs> we'll be busy for the next month. <laughs> yeah, it always does. You get to be. Uh, it goes from taking too long to not taking quite long enough. <laughs> yeah, that's so it. what are you guys working <laughs> on these days? Besides, besides Tandy Assembly Planning, uh, I'm trying to get into a project, but uh, you know, between Tandy Assembly and the podcast, I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of in between. I was looking at doing a run of word packs. Uh, Came in a roadblock with the cases, though. Yeah. Well, you need to save a little construction time because uh, I think uh, we're going to be applying you to uh, to build some uh, some um, bomb threat uh, cartridges. <laughs> Sounds for, good uh, for to be revealed at Tandy Assembly. Awesome. Uh, how about you? How about you, Mike? What you doing? Oh, I have not. Uh, I've been doing Tandy Assembly. That's about it. Uh, been pretty busy That's with the work, work stuff and i got some vacation up though so i'm going to be working on my uh, display for tandy assembly so hopefully that'll be nice oh very good very good yeah i uh keep trying to find that that pill to stop time or whatever to code up some new uh, stuff for uh, tandy assembly i don't think i'm going to make it um <laughs> <laughs> i have at least gotten back to, to my my blog with a few technical entries that um hoping to get some double duty out of for uh, tag segments here on the podcast um stuff. and uh you know stuff well doing some of the prep work for uh well for those uh, bomb threat cartridges <laughs> 
But, uh, you know, life goes on, right? There's always going to be uh, uh, the Cocoa Fest for, for projects beyond Tandy Assembly and hopefully beyond that, Tandy Assembly for projects beyond Cocoa Fest, right? Yes. <laughs> never ending. Well, we'll never run out. Yeah, well, I'll be completely busy for the rest of our lives. Well, I'm not sure that sounds so great, but maybe it's not so bad. <laughs> That's what makes it a great hobby. <laughs> so uh, speaking of the great hobby, uh, the true source of my hobby, I think, sometimes is eBay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you guys pick up anything new or interest, interesting lately? Uh, I haven't picked up anything really Tandy related, uh, but I, I did finally get an EEPROM burner. So that's oh, exciting. Yeah. Awesome. That's cool. Uh, so now that I can uh, ship you fewer EEPROMs and just ship you an image and let you burn them. That's it. <laughs> awesome. Good deal. Um, anything new lately? I picked up a, uh, kind of an interesting item off of ebay uh, it was a shooting gallery cartridge and uh i thought oh you know it was only like four bucks or something and uh, but it had this uh really intriguing edge card connector sticking out of the cartridge and i knew that was not standard yeah. it also had a cable uh with uh, two <laughs> connectors on it and uh so i picked that up and, and when i got it sure enough it's just a repurposed cartridge uh it's not the shooting gallery at all but it had a uh, it's basically a y adapter so uh you plug the cartridge in, and then it's got a cable with two connectors to connect, uh, you know, two other cartridges. Uh, so kind of a neat find. Cool. The board was made in uh, 1984, and uh, uh, hmm. but it's funny because they did ship the uh, the manual for shooting gallery with the cartridge. So <laughs> I, I've got that. <laughs> that should so, be real helpful. Yeah, That's funny. Must have been an estate find. Some, somebody obviously didn't wasn't aware of what it was. So. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. The, oh, it's interesting right. they kept the manual. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, just in a pile somewhere, most likely. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, poker related, uh, or at least not yet. Uh, but I did pick up a Game Boy uh, printer and a Game Boy uh, camera, uh, which is the Game Boy printer is a little. A, a, it's a thermal printer that prints on one and a half inch wide paper and. Uh, of course, it's useful with a Nintendo Game Boy, um, and uh, the Game Boy camera is a really low-res camera. It does what's grayscale, two-bit grayscale. Anyway, I just kind of got it to toy around. I already had some Game Boy stuff or whatever, but uh, the paper that came with it was kind of old, and so it didn't print very well. And uh, somewhere, either I told him, found something that told him that you know, you could test it with uh, uh, just any old uh, receipt and up <laughs> to the, be the right size to roll through the printer. And and uh, then he started splicing them together. And <laughs> before long, he had a whole uh, uh, manufacturing line <laughs> <laughs> putting together awesome. um, paper for the Game Boy printer. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, it could lead yeah. to to be a cocoa project because the, the, the printer protocol there is not too complicated. Uh, it requires a, a little bit of hardware to, to be able to communicate with the cocoa, but together. Yeah, so uh, that might be something to talk about in the future. Um, Very cool. Something else I picked up. Uh, well, somebody was saying uh, cocoa software discs 
uh, that were originals. Um, and so along with some of the, the Tandy titles, there were also a couple of, um, you know, more rare titles like there was uh, Marty's Nightmare was in there. And uh, uh, there's another Steve Bjork game or whatever. Um, and I think there was a Rupert Rhythm in one of the uh, collections. <laughs> no, no docs with them, but just the bare disc, but um, they were not too expensive. So I kind of picked up a couple of those packs and I uh, haven't had a chance to actually run them through a Coco disc yet to see if they work, but <laughs> we'll see. They're pretty um, tough. I bet they do. Tough. Yeah. yeah. They're pretty, uh, pretty good. Yeah. And yeah, the last thing that I'll talk about, I did pick up a Tandy 1000 HX, which is the, the Tandy 1000 that kind of looks like a cocoa on steroids. Um, so I figure if I'm going to be you know, outreaching our arms to our Tandy brethren at Tandy assembly, I need to, you know, expand my T1K collection a little bit. <laughs> so, oh, very cool. <laughs> we'll have to get those adapters built now. Yeah, exactly. We'll get a hard drive interface on so, there. <laughs> I uh, just hope it actually works when it gets here. That's the big problem sometimes when you buy from eBay. <laughs> well, you know, those things are pretty strong, too. They're uh, yeah, you know, well, you know, Tandy. That stuff's bulletproof. <laughs> All right. Well, server. Yeah, that could be cool. Or uh, maybe a, a host for an EEPROM programmer. That I always thought that would be kind of cool. But uh Anyway, well, that's probably enough to get us warmed up. Uh, so we're going to take a little break here. Uh, as uh, I think uh, uh, Neil likes to say, take a pause for the cause. And uh, <laughs> we'll be back uh, uh, with the rest of the show. After these messages. We'll be right back. Tandy Assembly would like to thank our sponsor, Coco VGA creator of the FPGA-based hardware enhancement for Motorola 6847 VDG-based microcomputers, such as the TRS-80 color computer. Coco VGA adds VGA output to early model Cocos. It adds true lowercase, multiple artifact modes, scan line emulation, and a customizable palette in addition to other features. For more details about Coco VGA, visit www.cocovga.com. Thank you to Coco VGA for being a Tandy Assembly sponsor. Every day, a color computer is abandoned or abused. They live in the dark recesses of garages, basements, storage sheds, barns, and attics, waiting for someone to help. Hi, I'm Helen Bleedingheart. Please say you'll be the answer for Coco suffering the effects of extreme temperature, overexposure to ultraviolet light, and conditions unfit for electronics. These Cocos need your help. Please call 888-6883 or go online and join the Color Computer Preservation Society with a monthly gift right now. For just $18 a month, you can rescue Cocos from their abusive environments, provide repair of damaged parts, administer retro-bright treatments, and most of all, provide love. Call or sign up online in the next 30 minutes, and we'll send you a photo of a Coco being lovingly reconditioned by the CCPS. And you'll receive this beautiful tote bag that declares, I saved a cocoa. Yours for your generous, perpetual monthly gift 
This is your chance to say, I won't sit by while the cocoa is wasting away. Please, won't you call or go online right now? All right, welcome back. Now we'll have some announcements. Uh, you're listening to the Cocoa Crew Podcast. We are uh, available through Twitter as at Cocoa Crew Podcast, all one. Uh, so if you'd like to tweet or whatever and see if we ever tweet back, um, <laughs> then uh, we are available. We are also available with a page on Facebook. Uh, just search for the Cocoa Crew Podcast with, of course, spaces between all the words because, you know, that's just how we roll. Uh, the podcast is available on iTunes, uh, Google Play, um, and also available for streaming through Stitcher and TuneIn. Hopefully those are enough to satisfy your <laughs> your quest for finding the show. Of course, um, you know, I mean, if you're going to subscribe to the show, you subscribe through the CocoaCrew.org so, uh, RSS feed. Uh, that way, in case we ever have to change providers, <laughs> you can just follow along with us. Anyway, we are also a member of the Throwback Network. This is a collection of uh, retro-themed podcasts, um, some of them many oriented, some of which are not. Um, you know, it's uh, all kind of centered around 80s culture one way or another. So if you're looking for another podcast to fill some of your day, then I recommend you check out the Throwback Network. Similarly, we are listed on the Game by Game Podcast Information Hub. This also is a list of similarly themed podcasts. In this case, all technology-related, old home computers and uh, retro video game consoles, that sort of thing. Uh, And again, if you're seeking another podcast, do check out the Game by Game Podcast Information Hub. Audio for the Cocoa Crew Podcast is, of course, hosted at Cyber Ears. Should you need to host uh, audio on the internet, then we recommend that you check out Cyber Ears, where you will get your audio on your terms. Should you wish to reach the Coco Crew by email, we have a number of addresses set up uh, to set up to reach all of the hosts. Uh, this includes show, S-H-O-W, at CocoCrew.org, podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at CocoCrew.org, and feedback, F-E-E-D-B-A-C-K, at CocoCrew.org. Should you wish to reach one of the hosts individually, we also have available John at CocoCrew.org, that's J-O-H-N, which, of course, reaches me, um, Neil, N-E-I-L, at CocoCrew.org, which, of course, reaches Neil, and Mike, M-I-K-E, at CocoCrew.org, and I'll just let you guess who that one reaches. <laughs> um <laughs> That is our standard set of announcements, but as always, we like to cover announcements of some uh, shows or other events that we think our listeners may be interested in. First up this time is uh, VCF Midwest 12. Uh, That'll be September 9th and 10th of 2017 at Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Um, This is a, a general retro computing event. You'll see a a variety of machines represented, um, including Commodore and, uh, you know, usually the, the Glenside folks are there should represent the Coco and there'll be apples and Ataris and probably even stranger stuff. <laughs> so, 
Uh, we've all been to this event. I think we rate it pretty highly. So, you know, if you're in the Chicago area there uh, for September 9th and 10th, then I recommend Grove Village for VCF Midwest 12. I know I'm going to be. I will too. Yep. <laughs> good, good. For those not in the Chicago area on September 9th, <laughs> if you happen to be closer to New Jersey on September 9th, uh, there is the Atari Party East 2017 uh, being hosted uh, at, in Somerset, New Jersey uh, on that Saturday, September 9th. Um, this is Come Celebrate Everything Atari at the initial Atari Party East, encompassing all the products that made Atari an amazing company. Arcade video game machines, pinball, consoles, computers, and even Atari Soft. Have you played Atari today? So, again, this is a first-time event. I've heard a lot of praise for Atari Party, which is on the West Coast. So, hopefully, this will be a cool event. Uh, if you go, well, let us know how it turns out. <laughs> Sounds like a good one. Yep. Yep, I think it'll be cool. Of course, you know. Uh, coming up in October, of course, you know, October 7th and 8th, 2017, in Chillicothe. Uh, Tandy Assembly uh, is now taking uh, pre-registrations. You can uh, pay in advance and avoid the long line at the door. <laughs> Registration is $10 per attendee. Children 12 and under and free, or, uh, 12 and under are free. Um, all proceeds pay for the cost of running the event. So come on, hang out with us, bring your Tandy stuff, fly your Tandy flag, show your Tandy pride. Um, whether you're a Z80 user, Coco, MC10, Pocket Computer, or even a Tandy 1000 guy, come on, hang out with us, spend the weekend, relive uh, some of your past, show us what you do with your Tandy today. It'll be a great event. I'm going Everyone to that excited? one too. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Too. I think I'll be there too. Yeah, I think I'll be too. Uh, my wife's even going to come. I have to be nice, I guess. Oh, that's good. Mine, mine will be there too. Uh, you cool. can call her J Joe Rowe. Joe Rowe. <laughs> <laughs> That'll catch on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the only thing is, you know, you guys uh, both bringing your wives down there. I'm not going to be able to, uh, you know, bunk with one of you. I'm on my own. Oh, well, sorry. Well, we'll talk offline. Uh, poor guy. <laughs> 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 all right uh coming up next this one i just found out about um so uh november 17th through 19th and the 19th is my birthday uh free play florida 2017 uh free play florida 2017 is an exciting three-day event that encompasses a complete pinball arcade and console gaming experience this November 17th through the 19th, Free Play Florida is being held at the beautiful Doubletree SeaWorld by Hilton right off I-4 and International Drive. Uh, <laughs> um, I guess that's in Orlando. Nice. All of your classic nice. and current pinball and arcade games will be on display for you to play. Join the International Flipper Pinball Association sanctioned pinball tournament and compete with the best in the state of Florida. Sit in on our speaker panels that include industry icons and visit our valued vendors selling parts, memorabilia, and some of the coolest themed art on the planet. So, sounds like a cool event. Yeah, sounds a lot like the Southern Fried Game Room, and that was a blast. Yeah. So, so yeah, I may have to figure out how to get down there for my birthday. That might be cool. 
Yeah, it's a good birthday gift. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Time yeah. you're to be in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, coming up December 2nd and 3rd of 2017, I think is, uh, I had to correct those dates. Um, uh, World of Commodore. Um, I think the link still mostly points to World of Commodore for 2016, but hopefully those <laughs> guys will get their stuff updated before long. But um, yeah. Anyway, World of Commodore. Uh, Neil, you're the one that knows about this. Oh, yeah. Yep. It's a, it's a good event. It's close to my house, so that's a, that's a bonus for me. But uh, no, there's always a great group of people uh, down there. And that's in Toronto? Yeah, it's not quite in Toronto. It's uh, kind of like Mississauga area, but uh, a little easier to get to um, you know, right off the service road. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a well-mixed event, too. Cool. I mean, it's not just Commodore computers there, like I was saying before. I mean, I mean it's obviously heavily Commodore presence, but uh, you'll see other machines as well. Yeah, okay, so they mix it up a little. All right. Well, moving on. That uh, actually gets us through the end of the year. The first event I have for 2018, uh, VCF Pacific Northwest, February 10th through 11th of 2018. This is going to be uh, held at the Living Computer Museum and Labs in Seattle, Washington. Uh, I believe that's uh, the Paul Allen uh, Museum, right? So... uh, should be a cool event. Uh, it's a VCF event, professional organization running that. Uh, <laughs> they are pretty professional these days, I think. Yeah. Um, so anyway, if you're in the Pacific Northwest, I highly recommend that you put this on your calendar and get uh, to uh, do a Seattle in February. Uh, should be a cool event. If you go, let us know. All right. That brings us down to two. Uh, the, uh, what has been the big event on our calendar it remains one of the big events on our calendar. 27th annual last Chicago Cocoa Fest, April 21st and 22nd, 2018. This will be held at the Heron Point Convention Center in Lombard, Illinois. Come touch and touch the Heron. The Heron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's a cool event. It looks like this is their, um, still con- continuing, uh, uh, largely in the traditions that have been, uh, set up the past couple of years, which would include a Saturday night uh, meal on site, uh, catered in. Um, and let's see, tickets at the door for the entire two day event are $15 for the first family member, $5 for the second and beyond Sunday. Only tickets are $10 for the first family member. And still $5 for the second and beyond. Children age 12 and under are admitted for free. So come and check out the uh, Cocoa Fest and see see why it's lasted for 27 years. (laughs) (laughs) It is is a great event. Lots of camaraderie. It's a good community overall. Um, Always fun to to, uh, be at the auction and uh, maybe pick up some rarities. Uh, very cool. You guys going to Cocoa Fest? I'm thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. I will be there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. We make it definitely rain or shine. If, if I'm not there, I'm dead yeah. or in jail. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm, sure they've, I'm sure they've forgotten about the charges from last year, so it should be fine. <laughs> <laughs> 
we uh, we can't forget <laughs> oh, about right. Cocoa Fest. You know, it's where we met each other. That's right. Yep, Cocoa Fest, a great event. Brought us all together. All right. One more event uh, on the calendar, Kansas Fest 2018. Uh, I've got it down as the 20, uh, sorry, as the 16th through the 22nd. I think their website says 17th through 22nd, but you actually can arrive on the 16th if you, and stay over in the dorm. Uh, no presentations or activities. But, you know, like most of these events, Kansas Fest, just like Cocoa Fest, and probably just like Tandy Assembly and a few others, uh, is going to be about the people. So, you know, show up on the 16th for Kansas Fest and enjoy the people an extra day. Um, uh, for those that are unaware, somehow have been under a rock. Kansas Fest, of course, is an Apple II event held uh, in the dorms at Rockhurst University in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, it's a, a lengthy event, uh, five days of, of retro talks and, and festivities um, and uh, real cool stuff. I think I'm not sure they're going to have the big garage giveaway anymore. I think this year may have been the last one on the schedule for that. But uh, so it may not be the, the uh, opportunity to pick up uh, free Apple II gear anymore, but it'd still be a, a good place to go and learn about you already have <laughs> so uh, yeah and you better better get anyway, in early because they uh, were capping that event so yep they filled up this past year uh, we'll see how it goes next year in future years but um, um, like I said it's a cool event I, I went a couple of years ago I'd like to think I'll go again but uh, we'll see how it turns out I'd like to uh, mention one thing about Tandy Assembly since uh, this will be playing at the end of August Everyone should be aware that the cutoff for the special room rate for Tandy Assembly is September 5th. So if you haven't booked a room for Tandy Assembly, book before September 5th, uh, or you won't get the special rate. Definitely, definitely. In fact, I still need to book mine. (laughs) (laughs) Same here. We all better get on that because it's coming soon. All right. Well, uh, so that brings us to the end of our announcements, and uh, we're going to Take another pause for the cause, and uh, we'll be back with some news. What's going on, Coco Cruisers? The original gamer Stevie Stroh here, and I'm the host of Coco Talk. What is Coco Talk, you ask? Well, we are a weekly live talk show on YouTube featuring the Tandy Color Computer. And guess what? Coco Talk is now also available as an audio podcast for your listening pleasure. So when you are done listening to the Coco Crew podcast, come check us out at CocoTalk.live for weekly live talk featuring the Tandy Color Computer. We'll see you there, Coco Cruisers. Fort Knox. More than 5,000 tons of precious metal lie behind a 22-ton vault door. The walls are concrete-lined granite. There are armed guards, fences, tanks, and Apache helicopters to deter any unwanted entry. Stealing gold from Fort Knox is virtually impossible. But how do you protect? Toilet paper? Outhouse, an outrageous game for the Tandy Color Computer. Thieves are sneaking into your outhouse to steal toilet paper. You must protect your outhouse from above in your very own flying saucer. Keeping these tissue bandits at bay is only part of the problem. The sky is filled with other deadly unfriendlies. Do you have the skill to keep your rolls intact? Color Outhouse. Distributed by Computer Shack. 32K required. Tandy Assembly would like to thank our sponsor, The Right Stuff. 
producer of Myriad products for the TRS-80 Models 1, 3, 4, Model 100, and Color Computer, the Fred Hard Drive Emulator, high-res graphics boards, memory upgrade kits, cables, adapters, and more. To see these and other products, visit ianmav, that's I-A-N-M-A-V, dot customer, dot netspace, dot net, dot A-U, slash TRS-80. Thank you to The Right Stuff for being a Tandy Assembly sponsor. All right, Cuckoo welcome back. Now it's time to start the news. Uh, our first item uh, is um, from Jim Gary. Uh, Jim has got a, a, a map maker for Caves of the Unwashed Heathen. Uh, so I guess uh, in previous episodes, we've done uh, some reporting where Jim had uh, done a port of Caves of the which was a Cocoa game, uh, an adventure-style game, and he's got to the MC-10. And uh, so now he's got a program that I guess helps you make maps, which are always useful for uh, trying to solve adventure games. Um, so uh, if you're playing Caves of the Unwashed Heathen, you may want to check out what Jim's got. And uh, uh, maybe you can uh, set up uh, the MC-10 running the map maker next to your Coco running the game or vice versa. Or <laughs> who knows? Might be useful. Might be fun. What do you think? Yeah, kind of cool. <laughs> All right. So here's one that uh, a news item. It's not cocoa specific, but so we have some some similar items here. Flash carts could be slowly killing your retro consoles. Damien uh, McFerrin, writing for Nintendo Life, um, and I guess um, the the corporate the culprit here is a conversion of uh, signals between 5 volts and 3.3 volts, um, which uh, I guess is they're, they're thinking that it's just draining the power supply or is this, uh, or is this about excess heat? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Ex- excess uh, heat was their main worry. Yeah. Well, read it and see what you think. Um, that is kind of an issue when it comes to trying to use um, update, you know, up-to-date hardware or more modern hardware that runs on 3.3 volts uh, and trying to use that in Cocoa peripherals where the Cocoa uh, is really a 5-volt system. Uh, you have signals and, uh, you know, at some point something's got to give. Now, I don't know how big a deal this really is, but, you know, these systems aren't going to last forever. <laughs> so... So I don't know. Real tempted here to plug my period correct hardware that I use in my <laughs> game cartridges, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know I'll resist that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So moving on, we have uh, a post from Rick Adams, who of course uh, was the author of um, uh, Shanghai uh, as well as um, Temple of Rom. And uh, yeah, the recent COVID auction off some diskettes that contain some of the Shanghai sources, but not before uh, copying those sources off to a more modern machine. And he's now made those sources are available for download. I don't know if these are enough to build the whole game from scratch or not. Uh, if you're interested, go check them out. The main deal seems to be uh, checking out and see if you can find interesting or snarky comments. <laughs> So, <laughs> I was just thinking um, that. 
So anyway, you might go check out uh, that, see if uh, that provides some entertainment for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, other than that, reading a assembly language source code, it can be entertaining or it can be educational. Um, but for most people, it will well, for most people, it'll probably be neither, and it certainly won't be all that entertaining for the uh, <laughs> for for the average soul. But some people might enjoy it. All right. Um, the next link comes from Carlos Camacho. Um, he posted. Um, we posted to Facebook. I guess he had a link out to eBay, uh, but he had a couple of the old black style joysticks uh, for the Coco, and he had modded them to have a. Uh, a button on top, I guess that you can hit with your thumb rather than uh, using the, the button in the front that you could hit with your index finger, I guess. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's kind of a, you may like it, you might not, but I included it here just to show that, you know, you can do little projects like that and make little modifications, especially if you want to start hardware hacking on the Coco, starting at the joysticks is probably the safest place to be. And, and in some ways the easiest <laughs> place to be. Yeah, um, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I encourage you, especially uh, those those terrible little black joysticks. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't see quite as many of them as I used to. I don't know if they rage on them or what, but um, uh, I don't know. They're kind of horrible to use for most things, although maybe if you're going to yeah. play double back or a, a couple other uh, things they might be useful for. But um, anyway, so cool project idea from Carlos. So. All right, moving on. The next one is a tweet that comes from Osh Park, or people say OSH Park. Um, that's a, a kind of a rapid prototyping a PCB manufacturer. Um, so their tweet says, uh, want to try a two-layer flex PCB? Uh, we're looking for a variety of designs to test. Please email us with flex in the subject, support at oshpark.com. So... You know, why do I include this? Well, a, a, a flex PCB is, you know, exactly the, the kind of thing like a, the mylars that people talk about being inside of uh, some of the Cocoa keyboards or I guess all of the Cocoa keyboards. Um, and so uh, from time to time it comes up, well, my keyboard's worn out. How can we ever replace it? Well, I don't know. Somebody needs to design a flex PCB. Well, here you go. You might be able to do so uh, through OSH Park or Osh Park rather than having to go through some sort of specialty uh, PCB manufacturer. So, um, so there you go. If you're an aspiring uh, circuit layout designer, or if you want to repair your, uh, your Cocoa keyboard, um, you know, get out to KiCad or Eagle or whatever and uh, start laying it out. It's pretty soon you might be able to get them done uh, at Osh Park. That's cool. What do you think, Neil? That's very cool. Uh, I didn't even know that was uh, uh, possible. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Okay, so the next link is a little sad. Um, so uh, it's a Facebook link and into a picture, and you see a, an old building on fire. And so it's um, Save the Machine Computer Preservation Group. It's with a heavy heart. We're reporting a nearly total loss of most of our amazing collection. So this is a little group up um, yeah, up in. Uh, it's in the more rural part of North Carolina, um, so kind of within driving distance from here. Um, but uh, they had a fire 
and uh, they, basically they they had space set aside in in an old mill or factory or something. Um, and they had uh, I know they had a maker space, and they they had a uh, this computer preservation kind of museum um, in there, and and I think they had some similar other kind of arts and crafts or whatever. In fact, I think Matt Witt said he was a member of, of some of these organizations there and that he had parked some of his motorcycle collection or something there and that he lost some of those. So they must have had a lot of stuff in that building. And it sounds like the fire took the whole building, basically a total loss. Um, so sad news. Um, I think we might have a little discussion based on this uh, later in the show. But, um, you know, so... If you if you uh, have a similar you know these these a lot of places have like maker spaces or, or whatever that have been set up in buildings that were that are basically on the verge of, of derelict <laughs> because you know the the rent is cheap or whatever but sometimes old buildings um, can be fire hazards or whatever and uh, exactly what happened here but just in a general sense it could happen and uh, you may want to watch out for that so. Forewarned is uh, for something. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, just uh, <laughs> there's a saying in there. But, yeah, it is terrible for the, the to, to think that so much of the stuff was lost and whatever, uh, but uh, some of it obviously irreplaceable. Uh, no humans were damaged in the making of this tragedy, though, so um, that that is at least good to report. So. All right, uh, so moving on, we have um, a link. Uh, let's see, update Android Loader, or updated, I guess, uh, Android Loader v101-220717, which I think is the, was a really loader. So this is an Android program used with the Dragon, uh, and they have a, a bunch of titles available so that you can use your, your Android phone as a replacement for uh, a cassette deck uh, for loading code to your Dragon. I think a lot of the Dragon uh, software catalog, shall we say, was available on cassette to begin with, maybe more so than what was available even for the Coco. Um, and so uh, this is a cool little collection if you're into the Dragon side of things. Um, I keep hoping that uh, somebody will take up the uh, join Chris Poacher and produce a cocoa version of this. Uh, I think that'd be really cool. Um, but, uh, anyway, for now, as far as I know, it's just dragon stuff. So some of the dragon stuff will load and run on a cocoa, but, uh, some of it, most of it, or a lot of it will, of course the keyboard will be messed up. Anyway, if you're looking, uh, if you, if you like to play with your dragon and have an Android phone, it's a cool project. You should look into it. All right. Another Jim Geary, uh, game, uh, the search for Sherlock Holmes. I think this is, uh, also a text adventure. Is that right? Um, and, uh, Sherlock Holmes theme. Um, well, not much to say other than, you know, good work, Jim. Uh, <laughs> the guy's tireless. <laughs> I wish I had the energy. Don't you? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All I need is energy, time and talent. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, pick two, right? <laughs> <laughs> you can't always have all three, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, why don't we take a, a, a short little break, um, 
play some entertaining uh, uh, messages, and uh, we'll be back with some more news. Tandy Assembly would like to thank our sponsor, Retro Innovations. Retro Innovations is a producer and designer of Tandy Color Computer and General System products. Producer of the Coco Flash Multi-ROM Emulator. The Coco Flash offers 8 megabytes of ROM storage and supports large ROM images. It also includes a built-in Orchestra 90-compatible music synthesizer. For more details on this product and others, visit www.goforretro.com. That's www.go4retro.com. Thank you, Retro Innovations, for being a Tandy Assembly sponsor. Make your Tandy Color Computer more versatile with great additions from Radio Shack. The Tandy Multipack interface is just $99.95 and allows you to connect up to four program pack cartridges. Easily change between the four slots using the front panel switch or switch slots under software control. How about adding an 80 column adapter? Just plug in the WordPack RS cartridge to your color computer and attach a monochrome monitor. It generates crisp, clear 80 column text with true upper and lower case characters. And it's just $99.95. Find these and other great color computer products only at Radio Shack, a Tandy company. What's going on, Coco Cruisers? Fan of the show, Stevie Stroh here, and you are listening to the greatest podcast in the history of the spoken word. I'm talking about none other than the Coco Crew podcast with your host, John Linville, Neil Blanchard, and Michael Rowan, a.k.a. Myro. And yes, it will catch on. Back to you, Coco Crew. All right. Back with some more news. The next item comes from Jim Gary again. Jim's been on a little, another little tear this month. Uh, this one is called Pharaoh's Curse. And it, it is a um, text adventure style game. Uh, let's see. He's got a blurb here um, by Tim Koontz for the Coco, ported to TRS-80 Microcolor Basic with minor updates. Um, so there you go, Pharaoh's Curse. <laughs> uh, if you're an MC10 owner, you're, you have more and more games to play every month, thanks to Jim Gary. That guy's a hero. <laughs> All right. Next item. From the Pixel Joint Forum, we've got the Pixel Art Tutorial. <laughs> so if you are interested in producing pixel art, which either for building retro computer games or just because you like the pixelated art form in and of itself, then you may want to check out this extensive uh, uh, web page uh, with a lot of information about and, and uh, you know, doing um, keeping the color count low, I guess, and picking palettes and it's definitely making an interesting your lines way. look right and whatever. <laughs> There's a lot to it for sure. Um, anyway, if you're an aspiring pixel artist, definitely something to check out. Um, moving on, and this is not Coco at all. It is for the Model 100. <coughs> Excuse me. But I did think it was interesting. Uh, the link comes from Brian White, who I think is a, a Coco person. I see. I think I've seen that name in the Coco group. And in fact, I think he may have sent us some stuff in the past related to printers. Uh, so he may, in fact, be a listener. If so, hello, Brian. Uh, <laughs> so he has printed a uh, a DIP28 car- carrier. That's a DIP28 is a, a chip package, uh, particularly for a 28-pin uh, ROM. And so the the Model 100 uh, and its cousins uh, had um, extension ROMs available that could do 
you know, the, well, they carried software, They're almost like little ROM packs, just in a different format. Um, but uh, and they would, they had these plastic carriers that you kind of would wrap the chip around or wrap around the chip or whatever. So the point being that you can't just take a chip and pop it in the bottom of your Model 100, or if you can, you'd, you'd have to be very careful, I guess. Um, but instead, you put it in one of these chip carriers, and then you pop it in. It's more like a, more like I said, more like a ROM cartridge. Uh, 3D printed. I don't know. I think uh, uh, I think everyone knows that I'm not a huge fan of 3D printing, but I don't want to, people to think that I hate it. <laughs> so <laughs> I included the link here saying, "Oh, you do cool stuff with your 3D printer. I'll, I'll recognize you." And of course, in this case, it's uh, 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 for a different machine, but still a cool project. So there you go. Uh, Definitely a good application for 3D printing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so the next link comes from, well, I've never heard of this um, media outlet twice. They are really, but they have a link. Um, so, and even that, the link says uh, it's by Twice staff. Does a Radio Shack brand will reportedly live on? According to Reuters, I guess I should have got the Reuters story. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> According to Reuters, the player intends to license the brand back to General Wireless, the specially created unit formed by hedge fund Standard General during Radio Shack's first bankruptcy. The Radio Shack brand will live on after a family office already owed $23 million by the bankrupt U.S. electronics chain agreed to assume ownership of it, as no other buyer submitted better bids this week. Oh, whatever. Oh, there is a link at the bottom of this to the full story on Reuters. So, so there. I've included the Reuters link. You just have to go through this link to get it. You didn't <laughs> put a bit in there, uh, John? Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> if they had owed me twenty-three million dollars, I would have. Uh, I would have put in a bid too. But uh, <laughs> yeah. my Red Hat stock's not quite that valuable. I wish it was. <laughs> By the way, your confusion is that, um, site, that site is from rapper T.W. Ice. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so anyway, so it sounds like Radio Shack may live on. Uh, if you end up with a surviving Radio Shack in your area, you know, send us a note saying, yeah, we still got one and tell us what it's like. Um, they're pretty, uh, I haven't seen one around here uh, ever since the latest bankruptcy. So I, I think, uh, well, I have no idea where they are these days or if they're centralized or just spread out pretty far. Anyway, you guys got a Radio Shack anywhere near you these days? No, they were been gone for years near where I'm at. Uh, there's, supposed, there's like three or four near where Tandy Assembly is, but I don't know if any of those survived. We'll have to find out yeah. in October, I guess. But uh the ones that yeah. do survive, I, I hope they shift from selling $4 capacitors. Yes, <laughs> yes $4 is a beyond my capacity. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> and uh, and Radio oh, Shack Lord. in my area has been, been completely gone for years. Yeah, yeah. Well, we know, you Canadians. Yeah. Shipped <laughs> out to, you probably replaced them with Tim Hortons or something. Yeah, 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 no doubt. <laughs> Dick Smith Donuts. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that a UK thing? 
Australia, Australia, I think. (laughs) The Aussies. Well, there you go. Speaking of Australia, (laughs) our next news item is uh, is from Nick Marentis announcing uh, the next part, Chapter 4, of uh, in which case uh, he basically um, declares that you know none of the audio options uh, that have been made available recently are good enough for him, and so he's going to just write uh, uh, some an emulation of one of the other sound chips and use that. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> He's going to do a sound trip in software, and then so right now he's working on a basically a tracker style program to drive his sound chip emulation. Um, wow. So I don't know if you. Uh, he also misspelled my name in the blog post. So. <laughs> there's, there's, there's no D, Nick. If you're listening, no offense. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, so, uh, you know, we we all enjoyed the Popstar blog that uh, as it rolled out for a while. And so now he's back with the Gunstar blog. And uh, hopefully he'll continue to produce this good content. And uh, even if he does, you know, want to strike out on his own on the sound thing, hopefully that'll work out. And, uh, you know, maybe he'll produce uh, some new stuff or at least document his sound t- routines in a way that makes for better code for everyone anyway. Yeah, it's an inter- so, interesting approach for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that is. And uh, always a fun blog to read. <laughs> I, enjoy, so. uh, I enjoy reading those blogs. The, um, the, only, the only my concern with that is that the CPU power, but uh, hey, if he can pull it off, that would be great. Yeah, I think he states in there that he's not going to use it for music in-game, uh, that he's using it for like bumper music or title music or whatever. Oh. Okay, that makes sense. He's going to stick to uh, just sound effects in the game. So, you know, and that's a valid choice. Uh, you know, it's uh, we've all been perfectly happy with that for uh, quite some time. <laughs> so, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on. Uh, the next link is actually it's from Glenn Hewlett. Um, and let's see what it's. The title is a Glenn, color movie. A little Canadian content here. Yeah, color, and he misspells color, C-O-L-O-U-R. <laughs> right. I, I got to be honest, we're messed up with that word. <laughs> color, color movies with audio on the Coco One using the artifact colors. Now, you know, I'm not sure if we covered Ed Snyder's player stuff that he's been doing. I'm not sure if we got that last month or not. I didn't see any links for it this month. Um, you know, anyway, if, if we'd missed it somehow, I'm sorry, but, um, the heads up is that Ed's been working on a system to, um, to basically embed player information or player code, I guess, into media files that get processed in, into a format that he's, um, been describing. Um, and that includes both audio players and, and video stuff. Um, I'm sure we covered his video players already previous to that. And so somewhere in the intersection of all those projects, um, Glenn has stepped in with a converter that, uh, for video to artifact color, NTSC artifact color mode. Um, and he posts a link, um, 
And so, you know, the, this, the link in the show notes is to Facebook. Uh, and then the Facebook has a couple other links to YouTube videos. Um, the YouTube videos, I think, are a little awkward to view because uh, he rightly uh, says, well, they look better if you stand back. And that's probably true. But so he videotapes them from across the room, which makes them a little hard to see because they're just down in the little corner of your video screen. <laughs> um, Anyway, sorry, I didn't pick that up. Uh, so, uh, we'll, you know, spill the beans. We're planning to talk to, to Glenn uh, later in the show, but we recorded that interview long before. Uh, didn't ask him about uh, about that video because we didn't know about it then. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, uh, so this is color video playback on a Coco One uh, using the, the the NTSC color uh, artifact colors. Um, it's kind of cool. Uh, check it out and uh, see if you enjoy it. Okay, the next items uh, from a, a Robert Allen Murphy. Does anyone know? I think I've ever seen his name before. I, I don't uh, think so either. Might be yeah, it's kind of first for me as well. So uh, the, the link in the show notes is to a Facebook uh, uh, posting. I think I saw maybe today uh, a, a similar posting also about BBS software stuff. Uh, not including that link in the news. You know, maybe it'll be in the next month's news. But <laughs> anyway, um, well, I managed to get the old Rainboard BBS from 1983 patch to 1984 with a Galactic Conquest online game running over Telnet. I even made some Cocoa art for it. <laughs> uh, so he's running a BBS on an emulated Coco 2, um, running uh, Rainboard and some other software, including this Galactic thing. I don't know. He's got quite the stack he's describing here. Uh, MAME running on Fedora uh, Linux. Uh, he's using Toolshed for building disk images. <laughs> um Wow. Somehow he's got XROR in the mix that he's used for some of his work. Um, anyway, if you want to check out a BBS hosted on a code, as it may be, uh, you may want to check out this link in the show notes and, uh, uh, you know, see if it uh, takes you back home. <laughs> yeah, I didn't – in the show notes, does that link have a, a link to the actual BBS? Because I didn't see that in the in the post, how you actually reach it. Uh, I'm not 100 percent sure. Let's see. Yeah, if it's Telnet, there should be a link. Yeah, uh, I'm not seeing a, seeing Telnet either. So you may want to search around for uh, <laughs> for other posts from Robert Allen Murphy uh, for further information. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't I didn't catch it. There was no link in this one. Um. So anyway, so this link, you know, your mileage may vary, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully he'll keep posting you. Yeah, we'll have to reach uh, out to him. And on that, that lovely note, yeah, why don't we take another little break uh, for some more announcements? The beautiful Trinity River near Fort Worth. The clear aqua sky. The glistening of morning dew. And in the distance... The shimmering towers of Tandy Corporation. You're a man of taste, style, and distinction. It shows in the way you walk, in the way you work. 
in the computer that you use. That's why you deserve a beer that's just as refined. Coco Brow. Extra brewed in small batches with water from Fort Worth's sparkling Trinity River. Made from the finest ingredients. Coco Brow is always satisfying. Full bodied, full flavored. One sip and you'll know why color computer users choose Coco Brow. Triple hopped and refiltered for purity. In a glass, the creamy head is the same color as a Coco 2. On tap or from a bottle. Shouldn't you be drinking a Coco Brow right now? Coco Brow. That's real good beer. Tandy Brewing Incorporated, Fort Worth, Texas. Drink responsibly. Tandy Assembly would like to thank our sponsor, SIDTRUG, the Sydney TRS-80 MS-DOS Users Group, a group of computer enthusiasts meeting on a regular basis to discuss hardware and software issues. Their origins are with the Tandy TRS-80 and compatible System-80 range of computers. SIDTRUG meets at Regents Park Community Center Hall, 1 Amy Street, Regents Park, New South Wales, 2143. For more details about SIDTRUG, visit SIDTRUG.org. That's S-Y-D... T-R-U-G dot org. Thank you to Sidtrug for being a Tandy Assembly sponsor. What's going on, everybody? Mr. Gameplay Goodness himself, OG Stevie Stroh here, and I want to talk to you about our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com, featuring hand-drawn custom designs of vintage computing and retro gaming that you can get on a t-shirt, coffee mug, mouse pad, and more. You can even get a copy of one of my Gameplay Goodness DVDs there. So to get the I'm a Coconut t-shirt and all kinds of other cool retro swag, head on over to 8bit256.com. Welcome back, Coco Cruisers, as we continue the news. The uh, next link is another one of these free book links <laughs> uh, from the OSS blog. I think that's the source of the other free book links we've been having each month. Um, grasp Prologue Programming with Free Books. Um, the Prologue was a, a language used back in the day for artificial intelligence work, uh, maybe still used for that. Um uh, logic programming and prologue is one of the book titles, uh, simply logical. So, you know, should have a heavy emphasis in logic prologue and natural language analysis. And that's more of an AI topic. Um, anyway, I don't know if there's a compiler or, or prologue language has ever been available for the cocoa. I did Google around for a prologue 6809 and I got some hits, but nothing I could quite pin down. I was a log out there for the Cocoa, or at least for the 6809, but I can't find it. <laughs> so <laughs> it is an older language. Uh, it's good for your brain to learn new languages anyway. So, you know, maybe you want to check it out. Um, you know, it's there. We've included similar links before, so I included this one. What do you think, Neil? Are you going to learn how to program in Prolog? Oh, I, I want to learn assembly first. That's uh, that, that's my goal this winter. <laughs> oh yeah, well, that's definitely cool though. Well, I like on that All link right. there's a uh, there's a GNU prologue, so that's kind of cool. Well, that's true. Yeah, you can at least program on your on your uh, Linux machine or whatever at home, and there might even be Windows or Mac versions too. Yeah, that's handy. All right. Um, just stepping on to the next link, uh, the sound illusion that helps make the movie Dunkirk so intense. Uh, either of you guys see Dunkirk? 
Yes, great film. So yeah, not a bad film. Um, the music in there uh, is kind of puts you on on edge a little bit, and I guess it turns out they're using a, a kind of a, a weird little trick. Um, and uh, let's see, what is does it tell you about the name of the trick in here? Uh, I thought it hasn't a name. I'm having trouble finding it. Anyway, the basic idea is if you um, play uh, three notes uh, uh, that are the right distance apart in terms of uh, pitch uh, and play them in sort of an ascending scale, um, that even though the scale itself stops after, you know, eight steps or whatever, it's the illusion of a scale that, that continues up forever. It's almost like an MC Escher kind of sketch uh, translated to music. You know, the one where you, you climb in the steps and they just go around <laughs> in a circle or a square and you're always climbing. <laughs> so anyway, kind of a neat effect. Uh, if you've seen the music, it's kind of like the, there's kind of this, dun, 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 and it just kind of, it feels like it goes on forever. Um, and uh, anyway, you might be able to turn that into a cool thing to put in a video game. That's why yeah. I included it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. anyway, it's kind of cool to learn some of these techniques. And a lot of them are perfectly applicable to a 30 or 40-year-old uh, computer uh, just as much as they would be to a brand new one. And so uh, if you're doing some composing for your latest video game and basic or 69 assembly, or, you know, if you find that 6809 prologue compiler and write a game in it, um, maybe you can, you know, add some music to it that uh, puts you on the edge of your seat as well. Huh. Anyway, sounded like a cool idea to me. Definitely. All right. Here's a, here's a blog post from uh, someone being a little philosophical. Um, we may eventually borrow this topic for a, a discussion, but I don't think we're going to do it this month. Um, but he says game collecting, when is enough enough? And so he shows a, uh, a bunch of shells mounted on the wall full of what appear to be Sega games. Um, um, but, uh, like Sega Genesis or whatever, but, um, then he's got other pictures of games and more games and some more games, which I suspect looks a lot like the storage areas that uh, many of us might use for our Coco stuff or for our Tandy stuff or for our retro computing stuff in general. Um, you know, mine is, is to the point where I don't publish pictures for fear of being, you know, conscripted onto the hoarders TV show. <laughs> so, so if you're waxing a little philosophical, maybe you want to check out this link. When is a no game collecting? And so he talks about, well, should you set certain kind of goals? Uh, you know, do you, do you collect, you know, all the Mario games or do you collect all the games for a certain system or, you know, is there a theme to your collection or something like that? Uh, it's probably a healthy thing to do. And it may be a good circuit breaker uh, for some of us. Uh, it's easy to get a little compulsive about collecting stuff of uh, some people more than others. And so, Sometimes it's nice if you have certain goals and you and you reach them. Sometimes that's a good check on you. It's like, well, okay, should I should I get any more stuff or, you know, maybe should I I should stop for a while. <laughs> the problem, of course, is when you get to be, 
you know, 80% to whatever goal you had. And then you decide, oh, but it might be cool to collect those too. <laughs> <laughs> and then pretty soon you've got 80% of that goal and you pick up a, a third goal and you've got 80% of that one. Um, so try not to do that because that's a good way to, you know, blow a bunch of cash on items of questionable importance, shall we say. <laughs> and, Except your Coco stuff, you need to have everything ever made by Tandy and all the third-party providers too. <laughs> Did you say something? All else? right. Well, yeah, I was just going to say, and then uh, you throw in there collecting variants. Now that really gets crazy. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm going to redo all my cartridges with the uh, the uh, labels off by a quarter of an inch and see if I can sell those as variants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those were produced when I was drunk. You see. <laughs> All right. So here's a link that Alan Huffman posted to the Color Computer uh, Facebook group. Um, he sends, Alan says, Java on 8 bits? I missed out on this happening. And so his, his link is uh, to, well, it's a Boing Boing article, Java ported to Commodore 64. Um, and um, But then, uh, so John Strong proves that he's been listening to the podcast <laughs> by posting uh, as a comment uh, the links to the Java Grinder uh, app, including the Cocoa port of Java Grinder um, from uh, Michael Cohn that we had covered quite some time ago, uh, at least a year ago on the podcast. Um, so, but this, uh, this is a new project, different project, uh, although pretty similar in terms of capabilities and design and whatever. Um, this is called Back to the Future Java. And um, it's a, a Java machine based on, um, well, the, the code in this case actually comes from, uh, let's see, based on the Lajos JVM for the RCX brick, which the RCX was the the first modern Lego Mindstorms. Um, the, the yellow brick it probably dates back 12 years or so now, maybe longer than that. Um, and, um, anyway, so it's, uh, it's a, you know, a, 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 a Java machine. Well, it's really a tool set more than anything that takes Java, the dot Java files, you know, the compiled Java files, um, and kind of compiles them down to, uh, to uh, assembly code, I guess, that gets linked in with, um, um, well, I don't know if it compiles them to assembly code or not. It compiles them down to something <laughs> that is usable by this virtual machine that uh, it's, it's not quite a regular JVM, but it, but it consumes the output of these Java tools. Um, and it's like, uh, you know, well, the biggest one is uh, there's no... Um, garbage collector, which means if you uh, allocate memory and don't deallocate it, then uh, you eventually run out of memory, um, um, which is a little unusual position for an average Java programmer to be in. They don't normally have to free their memory. Um, so now with that said, I don't think there's any, is anything that you're likely to be able to pick up any existing Java code and suddenly put it on, in this case, your Commodore 64, um, 
This is uh, this goes back to an old argument <laughs> that uh, when I found a kind of a precursor to the other Java virtual machine that we talked about, um, that uh, you know it's for writing new code in Java if you want to, but it's probably not going to help you much with existing Java code getting in. That's not going to run on the Cocoa anyway because you know most Java code out there is you know does networking and whatever else. <laughs> um, it's unrealistic to expect to run that on a Cocoa. But if you want to write new code in Java uh, for an 8-bit machine, this might be able to help you out. Uh, and if you're really talented and, and bored, maybe you can take this JVM uh, and uh, port it over to it targets the Cocoa, similar to the way Michael Cohn's project targets the Cocoa. Um, and you'll probably get you know similar results. <laughs> so is that enough said? Yeah, I think you covered it. <laughs> oh, I got carried away. Sorry. Um, all right. Uh, we'll see. So moving on. Uh, let's see. Mame FTC issue that can cause corruption. This is from David Ladd. Uh, so David Ladd um, is taken to. Well, he does a lot of kind of strange things um, on the in the emulators, uh, probably because it's just uh, the emulators are more convenient for him to use. But uh, he's trying to uh, write um, floppy disks uh, using odd numbers of sectors or you know unusual numbers of sectors and that sort of thing. And he was testing that on Mame and uh, or or Xcore or whatever. He found some problems that way. This one. He wasn't even doing anything all that weird, but uh, he found uh, an issue uh, where you can cause uh, corruption trying to use two drives on MAME at the same time on the Cocoa uh, emulation. Um, and so it turns out um, somewhere not too long ago, there was an update to the FDC, the floppy drive controller code uh, in MAME. Um, which in MAME is shared by a number of systems that all use that same uh, floppy drive controller chip or, or derivatives of it. And so the the MAME gods um, made some sort of change that is supposed to make that a more accurate emulation, and probably it does, but in the process, it broke some of the assumptions that went into how the Coco emulation was using it. <laughs> and so um what it amounts to uh, as um they on the coco uh, as i recall the problem is uh, relates to that on the coco when you turn on the drive motors drive spin at once and that's kind of helps with like copying back and forth between different floppy drives but with the new emulation uh somehow the drive motors were handled differently and so you know the cocoa didn't get quite updated correctly for the uh, the new floppy drive emulation, and so basically, if you switch drives uh, under the right circumstances, um, you'd get uh, data from one drive show up as coming from another, and or get written back out to the others, and causing corruption, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think anyway. he encountered uh, <laughs> he encountered duplicate file names on the same disk too, so. That'd be pretty gnarly. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so David, I think is working with the proper um, main developers to get this worked out. Um, and uh, I think he was uh, pretty clearly trying to say he's not trying to pick uh, or, or to cause problems uh, or to say that one emulator is better than the other. That he's 
just you know reporting bugs and that's exactly what you should do is you should report bugs and and uh, if you're reporting bugs uh, certainly for maine you should expect that somebody's going to pay attention and get them fixed and you know really you should do that you should expect that out of any project and uh, some will do better at it than others <laughs> so let me just leave it that way <laughs> <laughs> all right moving on uh, this one this one kind of gives me uh, the shivers a little bit, being uh, an organizer for an event that's coming up. Uh, I'm hoping that since we are not uh, practicing the same kind of karma as these guys were, that uh, things will work out a lot better for us. Um, anyway, you, you probably remember for months we were talking about that the Coleco Expo was a coming event. That's the, the Sophie Reynolds event. <laughs> that, um, we, made a, we made a lot of jokes about. Um, and in fact, we, we kind of, at one point we're looking and say, wow, they're really charging a lot for their exhibitors. Um, you know, whatever. So it turns out so the event happened. And, uh, in the meantime, before the event had happened, uh, the brilliant owners of the Coleco trademark now had kind of gone off, uh, and, and somehow or another had alienated themselves from the Coleco homebrew community, which has to be one of the stupidest things I've ever heard of. <laughs> But, uh, um, you know, I'm not going to go into the details of how that's happened, but there, if you follow the link to the Facebook page, uh, then there's going to be a link there to the Atari Age Forum. You can learn more about it. Um, but uh, it sounds like basically a bomb. It uh, shows a lot of pictures of an essentially empty hall. It looks like a very big, very empty hall. So they must've laid down some coin to, to get access to the facilities that were then not utilized. Um, and, uh, I don't know. This, this just gives me the shivers. Uh, I sure hope Tandy assembly looks better than this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it yeah. will, no I'm doubt. Sure it will. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot, of, a lot of differences. You know, I think in looking at this and how it bombed, uh, especially being held in New Jersey, it's not like, you know, there's not people there. Uh, they, yeah. you never, even though we saw the links, you never really got a feel for what the show was about. Was it about Cabbage Patch Kids? Was it about cosplay? Was it about video games? Uh, it just, it didn't really fill in the blanks for you. That's true. Although I think they would have been happy for it to be about any of those things if you had just shown <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Sad to see. All right. Sad to see. It's definitely sad to see. Okay, well, so in uh, maybe more positive news or better news or uh, certainly um, more optimistic news, um, Steve Strobridge um, posted something uh, to the Cocoa Bailing List under the title The Future of Cocoa Talk. And I think we may have mentioned Cocoa Talk here uh, before that um, – that he's been having these weekly uh, YouTube live events where he brings in a, a bunch of people and, and uh, you know, they talk about what's been going on in the cocoa world for that week. And sometimes there's organized topics and sometimes it's a lot more free form and, you know, whatever, there's sort of some regular contributors, but, you know, always some new people, whatever. But it's been, uh, you know, on YouTube, uh, which is where uh, Steve is, uh, you know, had his background. Um, but so now Steve's announcing uh, that he's going to make uh, the audio recordings of those YouTube videos 
he's going to make them available as a podcast stream. Um, uh, he did talk to us be- beforehand, and uh, you know, so we weren't blindsided by this. Um, and uh, you know, uh, overall, I think it's a sign of of strength in our community that we could do. Uh, uh, support a, a, a second podcast. Um, look at the, the the Commodore 64 community; they can barely support one. <laughs> so, um, We're certainly doing better than uh, Coleco. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so anyway, um, you know this. Uh, you know the, this the Coco Talk show. It has a, a very different feel to it uh, than our show. It's uh, kind of caters um maybe not totally to a different audience but maybe kind of a different perspective or or certainly a different kind of show it's a lot more free form a lot more uh man on the street shall we say um and so you know good luck steve uh it's good to see uh uh some strength in the community and um you know for speaking for myself i, I like to be entertained nice for somebody else to put on a show <laughs> <laughs> What do you guys think? And the other thing to add in there, which is kind of cool, is, I mean, a little over two years ago, the Coco had no podcast. So, I mean, now now there's two. We've come a long way. Yeah, definitely wish uh, Steve success with it. Uh, it's good to uh, keep expanding what's available to the community. Now, now we can waste even more time listening to Coco stuff. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, along with our three hours a month, you got his two or three hours a week. <laughs> so your commute just uh, no matter how long your drive time is. <laughs> All right, moving on. Okay. So there's one from Paris Charette. I haven't heard much from Paris in a while. It seems like we hadn't had as much dragon coverage for a while. I don't know if that's my fault for not looking far enough abroad or, or if maybe they stopped posting to Facebook <laughs> or something. But anyway, so uh, the title uh, might be a little, Anyway, the the subject he posted, Orchestra 90 for Dragon works on an MPI. And uh, it's like, um, okay, what does that mean? (laughs) So what he's really talking about, um, so recently Ed Snyder uh, produced this um, thing he called the CocoDAC 16, which is basically a uh, a, um, uh, a Orchestra 90 clone, right, hardware-wise. Uh, and uh, included, I guess he included in that um, flash images not only of the original Orchestra 90 Coco stuff, but also the version that's uh, designed to work with uh, the Dragon DOS. Um, and here, you know, I'm a little unclear on this, uh, but the technical description is here if you need it. It's certainly going to be a lot better than I can describe it. There's a link to a, a worldofdragon.org uh, post. Um, and so basically, something about um, <laughs> something about the way the the various selects are routed, that the ROM image that was shipped uh, with the CocoDAC 16 isn't going to work for the Dragon in most cases, but it, but it sounds like maybe it will work if you plug it into an MPI and then that into the Dragon. <laughs> Is that the way you guys take this? Yeah, exactly. Know. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. kind of what I took from it too. And so um, you may want to check it out and verify it for yourself if you're in that situation. Looks like there might be a, an updated version of the ROM to use as well here at the bottom of this link. I don't know. 
caveat emptor <laughs> just be aware before you try to use it uh, or if you do try to use it and it doesn't work be aware that maybe there's an issue there um go check it out <laughs> all right uh well that's it why don't we take another little break uh, for some more messages are you an active member of the Coco community? Are you 55 or older looking for a change of lifestyle? Then see what Coco Village has to offer. At Coco Village, we believe that your retirement experience is all about enjoying pastimes and pleasures like nowhere else. And what makes Coco Village truly come together for today's new breed of codger is our integration of a Tandy Color computer. Whether you need to pick up an edge connector at the 24 Hours Part Shop or speculate with friends about the Coco 4 in the club room, Coco Village offers something for everyone around the clock. Enjoy a 24-hour staff of color computer specialists eager to assist you. Our training center offers a broad range of color computer courses, including fully accredited courses from Tandy University. If you're looking for an ideal backdrop for boating, trophy fishing, world-class tennis, championship golf, fitness training, and gourmet dining, look elsewhere. Coco Village is targeted at a more cerebral, sedentary lifestyle. The only trophies here are for the high score on Donkey Kong Remix. Why pay for impeccably manicured lawns and tennis courts when you can get what you really want? Coco Fest, every day for the rest of your life. Located only miles from beautiful Wetumpka, Oklahoma, Coco Village stands high above the plains. Experience carefree, maintenance-free, compact studio apartment living on our converted grain elevator campus. Coco Village is affordable. In most cases, just your Social Security check and life savings will cover your monthly expenses. And we won't bog you down with endless floor plan choices. Every apartment is identical. Just pick one and go. As an added amenity, each studio apartment is pre-wired for complete control via the color computer appliance and light controller. Apply before October 27th and receive a free five and a quarter floppy disk drive. Come see for yourself what Coco Village residents can only describe as unique living. We offer tours anytime. Charges may apply. Isn't it time you enjoyed pastimes and pleasures like nowhere else? Coco Village, where aging geeks go to die. Happy! Tandy Assembly would like to thank our sponsor, Coco Talk. Coco Talk is the nation's leading live talk show about the Tandy Color Computer, airing live each week on YouTube with video and audio replays available. Join Coco Talk to discuss community projects, hardware and software, interviews, reviews, demos, and tutorials. For more details about Coco Talk, visit cocotalk.live. Thank you to Coco Talk for being a Tandy Assembly sponsor. All right. Now back with uh, some more continuing news. Always so much news, 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 news. Isn't it old and underloved and, you know, no cult following for the Coco? Huh. <laughs> Somehow or another, we managed to squeeze out 30 plus news items every month. I think we're doing okay, huh? We're still kicking. All right. First, uh, yeah. First item now comes from Walter Zydek. I guess that's how it's pronounced, C-Y-D-H-E-K. Walter appears to be working on a tool called ImmuDisc. Um, it says the ImmuDisc rebuild now supports JVC, VDK, DMK, 
OS9, parentheses, RAW, and VHD images. Those are all like physical format representations. And then semicolon, RS-DOS, OS9, Dragon-DOS formats. And those are all like logical formats uh, within the disk image. Um, basically file system images. Um, so sounds like he's got a tool that, that does something something similar to what uh, the Toolshed tools do, like the DECB uh, tools or OS9 tools within Toolshed. Um, but this is his own thing. Link out to a, um, uh, a GitHub repository. Um, and looking at it, um, there's a, there's a .sln file there, which I guess is a Visual Studio solution file. Lost me. I, I've never really used any of the Microsoft tools. <laughs> so I think this is a tool maybe written in C Sharp um, or something like that. Or maybe it's Visual yeah, CS. So I guess that's C Sharp. Um, so I don't know much about those tools. Uh, I don't know, know much about ImmuDisk, but it's cool to see a tool in development and maybe at least, uh, you know, I guess, well, I guess BNC Sharp doesn't limit it necessarily to Windows, so we'll see what it gets built for. Um, so we, we may have a tool available um, at least for Windows and possibly for, uh, I guess, for Linux and uh, I guess maybe Mac too. I'm not sure. Um I don't know if you know more about it, Jen, or if you use it, let me know. See how it works. <laughs> Any of you guys use the Emmy disc? Not yet. No. 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 All right. Well, then we'll leave that right there. <laughs> Moving on. We've got a Facebook post from Stephen St. John, and he has uh, a um, he's got maps for each level of Madness in the Minotaur. Of course, that's a for the Coco. Um, always, always maps are helpful with text adventures, right? <laughs> Can't keep everything in your head at once. Sure. So, uh, <laughs> if you are a Madness in the Minotaur player and uh, have not solved the game, uh, then you may want to check out these maps, see if they're helpful to you. Are you uh, viciously copying them down now, Neil? Oh, you know it. <laughs> <laughs> you have to. I'm morally against cheating. Oh, I'll bet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. All right, well, let's move on. So uh, this next link is from Simon Jonason, and this is actually not the most up-to-date on this project. If you search the Facebook group, um, uh, you'll probably find later versions of this project. But so it's a, a, a wireframe graphics demo uh, showing, I, I guess it's probably P-Mode 4 on a Coco. Um, two, I guess, running, doing some wireframe graphics, kind of rotating in space. Um, and, uh, you know, it looks pretty good. I know he's done a lot of variants so far, a lot of improvements. And so it's gotten to be a lot faster. This version, he was doing something where he had depth queuing on the, on the wireframe so that, like, when it rotated to the side that, um, it was farther out would be the, the lines would be shorter than the, the, the side that's closer to you uh, that sort of thing, <laughs> which is kind of cool. That's yeah, cool. Um, Simon. And, uh, we'll see where that goes. Uh, I'm hoping that, you know, well, I'm sure he'll eventually fold this all into demo and uh, maybe a game will come out eventually too. I think that'd be cool. 
All right. Now, here's this one's not Coco, but given that we've had the, the Pac-Man transcode and uh, we've got uh, Nick Marentes' Pac-Man out there in the world, too, <laughs> this might be relevant. So this is from uh, the San Francisco Chronicle. Prosecutors say, colon, six charged with making fake Pac-Man games in Santa Clara. <laughs> now, I'm sure they're producing, um, you know, arcade games. Um, but, you know, I guess they're using bootleg boards or something. Um, or uh, I'm not sure what it centers around. Maybe it's around the bootleg graphics or something else, too. But, but yeah, uh, you can still get busted for... Um, for uh for faking pac-man games these days <laughs> so, uh, you know if you're if you're dealing in in fake pac-man uh software or hardware you may want to beware <laughs> so i don't want i don't want to discourage anybody but i tried to see anybody carried off in in uh metal handcuffs uh <laughs> um anyway you're, you've been notified. <laughs> um, what do you think of that? <laughs> it doesn't matter how old the game or the software is, you can still get uh, busted for bootlegging it. Yeah, I guess so. Ooh. Uh, no, it sounds like uh, you know they were licensed to do the real machines and decided to uh, pocket some extra funds and cut out uh, the you know the owner producer licensee. So that's that's not a good thing to do. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's probably true. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on. Now, here's kind of a neat project. This is posted to Atari 8-Bit Computers Facebook group. Uh, it's a John von Neumann. I don't know that uh, that name may or may, may be a pseudonym. I'm not sure. Um, it says, I wrote a PHP script that reads a PNG image pixel by pixel and generates Atari basic code to create a copy of the image. Uh, conversion is fast, but execution of the basic code in an emulator sadly is really slow. Well, that's probably not too surprising. So basically, so <laughs> he's he's got uh, a script. I didn't look at his script, but I'm surmising that, that he's got uh, something written in PHP that it's essentially a graphics compiler that, that compiles to Atari. And it's probably either, uh, the, uh, well, maybe it's like the equivalents of set and, re and reset kind of commands or PSET commands, uh, or it may be just the equivalents of, you know, pokes and peaks or even like the, you know, the, the loop with the, where you read data statements and then poke. <laughs> Like you do a code or something. Yeah. Anyway, I included somebody could do this on the Coco. It shouldn't be a big problem. Uh, so you could convert your graphic images to base over a cassette or whatever. And it'd be a cool project. Uh, certainly something that could be done out of knowledge of either Coco Basic or uh, presumably. Uh, I'm not an expert at PHP, but it looks pretty simple. <laughs> so, so get on it, Neil. We need one. <laughs> we definitely do. It'll help game design, that's for sure. It might. All right. Uh, the next link, an announcement from Pierre Sarazan, 
Uh, we haven't heard a lot of him, a lot from him in a while, but uh, he comes uh, on. He's uh, got a, an enhancement to his CMOC, uh, C-like language compiler, uh, that it now supports floating point uh, variables under Color Basic. And why specifically Color Basic? Well, because he's actually using the Color Basic ROM routines to to do the <laughs> to do the uh, the operations on those variables. Um, which is kind of cool, you know. You've got that code sitting there in ROM anyway. You might as well use it. Um, the type in there is uh, it's not quite the same as the normal IEEE format floating point like you'd find in in most C compilers or whatever. Uh, it's actually a uh, Microsoft binary format floating point. Uh, has a Facebook entry if you ever want to check that out. Maybe I'll put that in the show notes. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's kind of cool. Uh, and if you wanted to do floating point math, uh, extra cool. <laughs> so uh, very good, Pierre. It's good to keep your enhancements coming. Yeah, that little language has certainly uh, been moving along, and I know there's a few people that uh, develop with it. Yeah, I've seen some projects um, uh, both on the Coco and for the uh, Vectrix. Cool. I have a similar project that I've put on hold over the uh, as, as I've watched CMOC develop, um, but uh, eventually I may uh, <laughs> I may have to break loose. So we'll see what happens then. <laughs> Watch out! <laughs> All right. So the next line item. It's actually uh, well, okay, not quite the last news item. Um, the PG, PBJ word pack dot, dot, dot special mission to make a clone available to anyone. This is from Felipe Antoniosi. Um, this sounds like he, uh, acquired a word pack RS from Gene Heskett with the proviso that he was going to uh, reverse engineer it and make the uh, information available so that anyone who wanted one bad enough could produce their own. <laughs> now there's these word packs. These were the, Basically, they're 80 column cards that you could add to a Coco and get an, a separate video output for, for you know, cool text mode stuff. Um, uh, probably used a lot with OS 9 uh, or maybe with people who want to do a lot of uh, typing or whatever back in the day, like for, for text editing or whatever. I'm not sure what differentiates the WordPack RS from some of the other WordPacks. I think maybe it has a different. Um, um, uh, video controller, uh, but uh, I, I guess it was the top of the line word pack. So, pretty exciting. What do you think, Neil? Yeah, it is. It is exciting. I was actually uh, hoping to do a run of these at some point. Um, got you know a lot of a lot of neat uses for it. I mean, like you said, OS nine would be good. Um, another cool uh, thing would be neat if you can get it working is uh, some of those Infocom games. Get them uh, using that on the eighty column sure. mode. The text yeah, adventures. Mm-hmm. That might be cool. I don't know how hard that would yeah, be. Yeah, I wonder too. Um, the um, I see there's a, a character generator ROM that's part of this. I wonder if you could do, um, you know, if you could do a kind of a custom project with a, you know, your own character generator ROM that you could put like little graphical stuff in in there. <laughs> and then use it like a like a uh, a uh, uh, I don't want to say stamp 
you know, for for doing graphics a little faster, um, where you, you can move character move graphics, mm-hmm. right? Character mode graphics, right? Yeah. Um, that might be kind of cool too. Uh, be a little extra hardware, but maybe something you could even switch on and off. That'd be kind of cool. Well, it's awesome that uh, Philippe uh, made all the Gerber files and everything available, so you can get your own board created and uh, parts list and. Uh, yeah, so it's probably a good project if somebody is looking to, uh, you know, if they're not familiar with uh, putting together something like that for their cocoa, it's a good opportunity to learn. Yeah, yeah so those those long black cartridges, and I know there's a bunch of them out there in the community. Uh, I've got uh, some number of them in my pile. Uh, I'm not sure how many I can dig out, but they they were available for a long time at, at Coco Fest and lots of people picked up ten or twelve at a time. <laughs> and <laughs> and unless they've done a whole lot of projects uh, or or stored the plastic out somewhere where it's gotten brittle and useless, still be some of those uh, cases out there. So uh, put the word out here, Neil. If you're a Coco uh, crew listener and you've got a stash of uh, of those long black cartridge cases, uh, Neil's got a use for them. So send us yeah. send us your info. We'll make it word pack. <laughs> well, it's true. That'd be a good way to use them or to pay them. All right. Okay. So it's come out uh, more recently. Well, so on the, looking at the Cocoa mailing list, we've got uh, a post from Wrightville, Wrightville. <laughs> Who's that? That's JoJo, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Says he just experienced the same glitch as Ron Delvo. I couldn't find Ron's posting about his glitch, but basically he was doing a copy between a physical floppy drive and a and an SDC drive. And after the copy was over, the the drive motor on his physical drive stayed on. And so the funny thing is, I think that's actually kind of it kind of relates to the the problem that David Ladd was finding with in Mame with the the improper handling of the drive motor. Um, so it's kind of funny that it pops up in a couple of different ways. Um, anyway, um, uh, once this was exposed, we got a, a Darren Atkinson, who was really the, the brains behind the Coco SDC. Um, and, uh, he asked about, uh, the version of SDC DOS involved and a little back and forth. And then Darren announces that uh, there's now a version 1.5 of SDC DOS available as of Saturday, August the 19th. So if you are a Coco SDC user, you may want to check out cocosdc.blogspot.com and uh, get your update to 1.5. Pretty cool stuff, huh? Yep. Are quick we, and easy upgrade. So are we on top do- of it or what? <laughs> <laughs> hours before the show yeah yeah <laughs> all right well i think that covers our news so why don't we take another uh, maybe a little slightly longer break <laughs> and then we'll be back with some feedback tandy assembly would like to thank our sponsor boyson tech vintage computer systems gaming consoles and parts Boyson Tech repairs, refurbishes, and sells vintage and game consoles. Be sure to visit them on Facebook. Just search for Boyson Tech, B-O-Y-S-O-N-T-E-C-H. Thank you to Boyson Tech for being a Tandy Assembly sponsor. This week, the Coco Crew Podcast is brought to you by 
Gimme Crisp Cereal. Most any cereal is fine with me, as long as you spell it G-I-M-E. Magenta and buff, yellow and green, keeps your mind sharp and your body lean. Start your day right with a delicious bowl of Gimme Crisp Cereal. Crispy oat O's with colors of the Tandy Color Computer. Served with milk and juice, it's part of a complete breakfast. And moms love its three vitamins and herbs. And for a limited time, you can get one of five Color Computer program packs free. Just send $3 handling and five box tops from specially marked boxes of Gimme Crisp. Choose from Clowns and Balloons, Adam, Bingo Math, Color Backgammon, and Dino Wars. Magenta red buff, yellow and green. Keeps your mind sharp and your body lean. Gimme Crisp! The Adventures of G.I. Joe, The Lost Satellite, starring talking G.I. Joe and his action equipment. G.I. Joe and the adventure team must track a lost satellite as it re-enters Earth's atmosphere. Red alert. Power up the candy color computer. The radar dish spins as it scans for the satellite. Then, suddenly, the color computer locks on. We've detected the satellite. It's headed for the Pacific Ocean. Here comes the G.I. Joe adventure helicopter with frogmen ready to assist in the recovery. They're in the water. Lower the winch and attach the satellite. Got it. Satellite secured. Create your own adventure. The G.I. Joe Satellite Control Unit with Tandy Color Computer. G.I. Joe Adventure Helicopter and G.I. Joe Figures sold separately. Co. Co. Coco. Cru. Ooh. Crew. Pod. Cast. Podcast. The Coco Crew Podcast. Cruisers, now we're back and we're going to talk about some feedback. First feedback item comes from John Mark Mobley, who was kind of uh, he was kind of the instigator of the whole uh, assembly language versus uh, assembly code versus machine code discussions that uh, <laughs> we've had over the past few months. Um, he's got his uh, uh, message to us that says, uh, uh, if machine code is seen as a stumbling block, then don't do it. If machine code is seen as a foundation to build on, then do it. So there's John Mark at Waxing Philosophical. It's like, you know, do or do not. There is no try, right? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, that's the message, right? If, you, if you're scared of machine code, don't worry about it. You'll be fine with just assembly code. But if you think machine code is, you know, the key to, to you know, whatever it is you can't do, machine code and see if that gets you there. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. As John Mark can be a wise man. You just need 16 All toes. Right. 
<laughs> 16 toes, exactly. <laughs> and John Mark has 16 toes, oddly enough. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I don't know that. I've never seen John Mark's feet. <laughs> we'll just we'll just propagate the rumor. Just kidding. Just Mark, I'm sure you have 12 fingers and toes just like the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on. The next item is from uh, uh, D. Bruce Moore. Um, so D. Bruce Moore. De Bruce. <laughs> is that like Robert De Bruce? <laughs> Sorry, a little history <laughs> joke there. Um, um, John talks. That's, that's me. Talk, John talks about returning thirty plus years later to code we tried to do as kids and finally making it work. That is exactly what my Forest of Doom game is all about. So uh, I think we've covered some Forest of Doom stuff. I'm sure as he gets uh, closer to a, a, a real release, we'll cover it even more. Um, but uh, so that's you know, Bruce's um, project where he has uh, in another uh, Coco adventure game written in basic um, that he's done a lot of work on and, uh, Put some work in some graphics. I think he's even doing like a, a guidebook or something. <laughs> Looks pretty cool. Um, and um, he was at Coco Fest showing it off. He had T-shirts. Looks like a cool project. I hope uh, hope he's enjoying himself. And uh, so yeah, so there you go. So projects that you return to after thirty years uh, can be both real and satisfying. <laughs> Very exciting stuff. Um, all right, well, moving on to next, uh, the next or final piece of feedback comes from, um, L Curtis Boyle. So let's look at this L Curtis Boyle, D Bruce Moore, you know, both of those guys are Canadians. What's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> Neil, are you, are you actually, uh, you know, uh, K Neil Brookings or, or something like that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> yeah, Canadians don't like their first names. Apparently, that, that's it. What's your what's your real first name there, Neil? Or what's your first initial? So, so we always add an initial at the front. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you just make it up. <laughs> oh Lord, I thought maybe the the first initial was assigned to you the first time you you ate at Tim Hortons. No, so what it, it, it's what sounds good, right? You know, like. A, <laughs> our <laughs> Bruce wouldn't sound as good as D Bruce. You know, it's not the uh, yeah. Bruce. So, <laughs> so you should hear forth be known as O Neil Blanchard, like O Neil Brookings. Yeah. Yeah. That would work. <laughs> Brookings. Sorry. Brookings. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> not, not Brookins, but Brookings. Yeah. Yes. Name yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, must be getting to the end of the podcast. Uh, let's see. So, from the comment from Curtis uh, regarding self-modifying code, you're absolutely absolutely correct. That is most often uh, parentheses always question mark used to speed up code. It is more complex to follow though if you aren't fully aware of which parts of the code you are self-modifying. So yes, yeah, it's pretty well echoing um, uh, what I had in the last podcast about self-modifying code that. Uh, yeah, it's something you can do. It can speed up code, but it introduces some a lot of complexity. So, you know, use caution. <laughs> All right, well, that's the end of our feedback section. Uh, so we're going to take another break, and then we'll be returned with the rest of the show. 
Do you want to fully utilize the power of the 6809 and the Radio Shack TRS-80 color computer? Then subscribe today to 68 Micro Journal. 68 Micro Journal was established with one objective in mind, to provide a magazine for 68XX users by 68XX users. 68 Micro Journal has a strong worldwide following and has been covering the TRS-80 color computer longer than any magazine. Read product reviews, technical discussions, and get helpful hints about expanding memory, power supply cooling, repairing sticky keyboards, and connecting printers, to name just a few. A one-year subscription to 68 Micro Journal is only $24.50. 68 Micro Journal, dedicated to 68XX users worldwide. I was a boy the day my daddy brought home that tandy. And all day with that cocoa I would play. Then I hacked the blackjack program to give the dealer five cards. And I've been hacking up till this day. Well, I love to program basic on that cocoa. C logo Pascal and assembly. Now you don't have to prompt me, little. Tandy, but why do you have to prompt me? I wonder why do you prompt me? Why do you always prompt me with okay? You've been hearing all the buzz about Tandy Assembly. Shack and Tandy computer models under one roof. It's happening October 7th and 8th in Chillicothe, Ohio. Don't miss our guest speakers, including Don French of TRS-80 fame, game designer Lance Nicholas, and Scott Adams of Adventure International. Make your reservations today. Call 800-542-7919 and ask for the special room rate for Tandy Assembly. But hurry, the rates are only good through September 5th. Tandy Assembly. Some assembly is required. All right, Coco Cruisers. Um, this uh, month we thought we would hit you with a couple of host discussions. We're going to do the first of those right now. Our first topic, uh, I've noticed uh, that we've seen a lot of people, uh, mostly people who are kind of new to the community, but maybe not exclusively. Um, it seems like it's become a, a more of a practice uh, for people to uh, replace the 6809 processor in their Coco 1 or Coco 2 with a 6309, a Hitachi 6309 processor. Um, now, this kind of upgrade has been done quite a bit in the, for, but uh, almost exclusively on the Coco 3. And uh, on the Coco 3, of course, you can um, you can run Nitrous 9. Uh, uh, which, uh, in fact, Nitrous 9 came about to as a way to exploit um, the uh, C, but uh, later was uh, through some work done by uh, well, Boise Pete and others. Um, Nitrous 9 was sort of backported to the 6809, 
and then uh, and then some of that some of the nitrous nine then also gain support for the cocoa one and two. Um, but uh, in terms of other software, there's there's not a lot of other software. There are, there are a few things, a few games, a few demos or whatever, but there's not a ton of software out there that will benefit from being run on the 6309. And of what there is, it is already dependent on the Coco 3 to begin with. So with all that, uh, that brings you to the topic of debate here or discussion. Is there any value or how much value is there in putting a 6309 into a Coco 1 or 2 or even a Dragon? Um, so with that on the table, um, Mike or Neil, uh, who wants to start? I'll jump in. Uh, yeah, well, like you said, I don't know what the value of doing that is, of putting a 6309 in a Coco 1 or 2. Um, you know, I suppose if you had a bad CPU and you were p- replacing it and you had a 6309 handy, you could you could put it in there. But um, no, I don't know that it's a big selling point to put a 6309 in the Coco one or two. Um, I don't think it runs any cooler, does it? I uh, don't know if that would be a, a benefit, mm. but you know, I, I couldn't think I of don't know if, Yeah. I don't know if it runs any cooler or not. Uh, it might be a little bit, I guess, just speculating, but I don't think it's a big deal. It's how much cooler it runs, particularly, you know, if you're not running it in native mode or whatever, I don't know how much difference it makes. And you make a good point though. If you have a dead 6809, then replace it with whatever you've got. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. I've actually been hearing the claim made that the 6309s are available and or cheaper than the 6809s these days on eBay or whatever. Now, with my own investigations, I don't really see that. I don't really find that to be true, but maybe maybe there are some situations or some certain kinds of searches people can do. I mean, the just the claim that 6809s were hard to find, you know, I then went to to um, Jamico and typed in, you know, 68B09E and they had them, you know, in stock, ship the same day. <laughs> so they didn't seem to be hard to find and they were like four bucks a piece or something, you know, so it didn't seem like they were expensive either. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not really sure who's looking for them or, or what they're finding that made some people seem to think that they were more expensive or harder to find. Um, I don't know. What about you, Neil? I mean, you're probably our expert on what software is available that uses the 6309. I know Roger Taylor that uses the 6309. Uh, what else? Uh, I think some of the demos from Sockmaster, you can, but I'm pretty sure those were all Cocoa 3 specific. Yeah, that's just it. Any uh, ideas? Yeah, they're all they're all Coco three uh, specific that I know of. Um, I mean, that is the question. Like, if it, if it's an advantage, then it'd be worth doing on the Coco one and two. But uh, the only thing that I could really think of is uh, I think Ed Snyder has uh, what is it? His uh, audio player. Is it the audio player or the video player? He has? Yeah, I think I th- that that supports a sixty three oh nine on a Coco two. Um, right, and those are brand new. The, that code is brand new. Like within the past few months. Or a few weeks, right. even as far as I can tell, right? Um, but yeah, I think some of his player stuff that he's been working on, you know, the, the stuff with the, it kind of goes along with the special formats for media files that he's been uh, posting to Facebook. Uh, I think some of those players are sixty three oh nine specific. So 
uh, or at least able to to support a 6309. Um, so if you're getting, you know, if you've got your Cocoa 1 or 2 or your Dragon and you're using a Cocoa SDC and you want to run the media players that are coming from Ed, well, okay, assuming that they're not checking for Cocoa 3 somehow, I, I don't know if, I don't know why they would be. Um, that that might be a, a, a benefit. Um, and that's kind of new. And I guess that's the other thing to put out there um, is if we build up a, a stock of, you know, the, the, you know, original Cocos or, or the dragon style machines, you know, the non Coco three machines that have the 6309, maybe that creates more of a market for people to have 6309 specific programs that don't require cocoa three you see that as a likelihood or a possibility yeah yeah i could see that happening the the other thing to mention that's kind of uh i mean it's at least it's a good thing is that i think pretty much all of them that i know of the uh, cpu is socketed so you can at least save the uh the 6809 the motorola processor so you know it shouldn't go to waste yeah yeah that's the thing i've been seeing a lot of people doing this mod when you know it seems like they were not you know the, they were not dead cpus to begin with and it kind of just you know it touches uh some retro thing inside me to, to think that they were killing uh, a 6809 that was working perfectly fine just to put in a 6309 that will never really get used <laughs> um yeah I'm not in the same at least some of them yeah. were soldered in uh because somebody was complaining about having to cut one out <laughs> so yeah, that's, yeah that's, some yeah. of them are for sure oh that's too bad i, th- I thought they were all socketed on those older machines i, I guess not if you're lucky they pointed are. out that there, there is a yeah there is a you know a a coco one or coco two whatever build of nitrous nine out there uh now i'm but what boise told me is that there, even though you can build nitrous nine for the coco one or two that there's no 6309 code in the Coco in the level one nitrous nine kernel, which means even though it's nitrous nine, it's not 6309. It doesn't really help you. Now it might be as someone suggested, maybe there's some nitrous nine drivers that are 6309 uh, aware or whatever. And maybe you could run a 6309 driver on your level one nitrous nine. I don't know. It starts to get pretty complicated and I'm not sure what works and what doesn't when you start combining them at that level. Um, yeah. Or what the payoff would be for doing that. Right. Yeah. If, it. it's, if, you, if you get a few cycles in one driver on your level one OS nine or nitrous nine, would you ever notice? Who knows? <laughs> um, so what does this come down to then? It's like, well, maybe it's worthwhile, but I wouldn't count on it. <laughs> Is that the verdict? Well, I guess the the verdict. Well, yeah, I guess that's the verdict. But I guess that's just be aware if you're out there in the community. If just because a Coco one or two has a sixty three oh nine in it, doesn't mean there's some magical capability that you're going right. to get. Right. Yeah, right. I guess that's the thing. If you. Right. Yeah, if you, if you, yeah, if you, you, unless you know you're trying to run something 63 that supports a 6309 on your Coco 1 or 2, then um, the chances of there being any real value in paying for a 6309 in your Coco 1 or 2 is pretty slim. (laughs) 
So, um, you know, so yeah, I guess it's all right. If, if we're trying, if, if, if people want to put them in there, it's certainly all right. You know, you, you own the machine, you can do what you want. Um, but, uh, you know, if, um, I guess I wouldn't let it make much difference in price for me if I was buying. Does that sound reasonable? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, in some cases it might be the opposite because somebody wants the original vintage item. All right. All right. Well, man law or, or crew law or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll close this discussion and move on with the show, and uh, we'll probably be back uh, in a little bit. All right. Thanks. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mike Rowan, one of the organizers of Tandy Assembly. We look forward to seeing everyone in Chillicothe, Ohio. I wanted to take a moment to talk to you about one of the great events at Tandy Assembly. That's the No Minimum Bid Auction. First, all of the auction items are donated. All proceeds from the auction will go toward the cost of the event. The auction is a great opportunity to get some big bargains on unusual vintage computer items. It's also a great deal of fun to see people, sometimes best friends, trying to outbid each other. We certainly hope you'll join in the fun at Tandy Assembly. As I said before, all of the auction items are donated. If you have any items or duplicates in your collection that you are willing to donate to the auction, we would certainly appreciate your donations. Just bring them to Tandy Assembly or contact us through our webpage, www.tandyassembly.com. Thanks, and we look forward to a great time with everyone at Tandy Assembly. All right, welcome, Coco Cruisers. Uh, we've got a treat today. We have an interview segment. Uh, we're going to be talking to Mr. Glenn Hewlett. Um, Glenn kind of burst upon the scene uh, late in what 2016, I guess, uh, with uh, his uh, ambitious project to do some binary uh, code translation from uh, Space Invaders. And then uh, I guess he uh, quickly moved on from that to, to Pac-Man. Spent a few months working on Pac-Man and has brought that to uh, a fabulous completion. Uh, if you um, want to see more, you can look for Steve Strobridge's YouTube channel for uh, some examples there. And um, and then it, it looked like maybe you're moving on to another, in some ways, equally ambitious project. Uh, not uh, You're not having to translate assembly code, uh, but... Um, well, you'll still have to do just as much work, I'll bet. Um, looking at uh, at least one of the Williams games, like uh, it seemed like it was Defender. So, um, so Glenn, you uh, have definitely come on and made a uh, a bright streak uh, <laughs> across the cocoa sky. So, welcome to the community. Welcome to the show. Um, and uh, with that, you know, how you doing? <laughs> uh, would you Pretty like? Good, to go? thanks. Would you like to tell us um, generally you know, how you got started with the cocoa um, and what's what motivating sure. you? Um, sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show, guys. Sure. Really look forward to the show every month. Um, as far as my background with the cocoa, well, I guess actually computers in general. I guess it started with my brother when uh, he was in grade twelve or thirteen at high school. He was able to take home the pet uh, Commodore pet computer on the weekend. So that was my first introduction to computers. I used to play on the uh, Commodore when he brought it home and said, Oh, this, this thing was really cool. I wanted to learn more about it. And then um, I think it was that summer. He, he needed to do some video programming or video texting or something. And I remember he bought a TRS 80 model one at the time and, 
it didn't work properly for him for what he needed for school. So he uh, changed it out for a cocoa, which I pretty much uh, took over after <laughs> he brought that home. So uh, <laughs> that was that was the cocoa one. And it was uh, I think sixteen k extended basic, and I guess it was like right when it came out, like nineteen eighty. 1981 ish somewhere around there and then uh yeah i was you know hooked on cocoa stuff for for years and years a couple of friends also had uh, cocoa too so i was playing cocoa games and collecting games and everything and then got into the machine language stuff just you know just couldn't get enough of programming so um I remember picking up the editasm cartridge and Oh, that was kind of um, strange because I didn't know what to do with it. I just figured, okay, this is what machine language programmers use. So get the cartridge and all of a sudden I'll be able to program machine code. But <laughs> as everybody knows, with assembly language, it's not that quick and easy. <laughs> right, right. But then I got, then I got uh, William Borden Jr.'s uh, book and went through that. And it's like, wow, that was cool. I learned a lot with that manual. And then uh, wrote a few utilities. One was on uh, compression um, called Disk Shrink. It was like you could take a floppy disk and it would compress it like sector by sector into a file, um, a compressed file on the on another diskette, and then you could send that over the phone. This back in you know the BBS days, or of course, so you know I could uh, trade or. Um, copy disks that way and send them to a friend or whatever you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Oh, I, and I wrote a program for um, uncompressing uh, ARC files back in the day. A lot of um, PC um, pictures and stuff were always in the .arc, like archive. It was sure. like the predecessor for zip, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and those types of things. So, yeah, I wrote a program that would uh, uncompress those. It was called Unarc, I think, and Unarc 512 for the ones that had 512K. But, uh, yeah, as time passed, uh, I um, stopped using the Cocoa, moved on to the Amiga 500 and 3000, and then eventually got into the PCs and then uh, into the Macs, and I pretty much use Macs and Linux machines nowadays. And then... Um, I remember when, I don't know how I found out, but back in, you know, 2007, when Sockmaster did the Donkey Kong game, <laughs> I, I found out about it. I guess, I guess I must just, you know, the odd cocoa news I'm still picking up or whatever, but I was pretty much right out of the scene at the time, but seeing that, it's like, oh, that's cool. That's, yeah. that's, that's, <laughs> that's amazing how somebody did that, you know, but then I, you know, I moved along and always, always been into emulation though with computers and uh, arcade machines like MAME and all that stuff. And even uh, when MAME first started coming out, actually back in the day, um, I was, I was, you know, every time, I don't know if you guys remember or were into it at all, but it was like a big thing when they, before MAME came out, there was a few different emulators for different dedicated machines type of thing. And then, um, I forget the guy's name who created Mame, but he started adding up more games and it could do more and more all the time. And I was right into it at the time and I was helping out those guys. I was trying to find out any information I could about arcade cabinets, send them the information so that they could add it to the emulation and stuff. I remember mm-hmm. finding, finding out lots of uh, information for Galaga at the time. 
sending that to the guys who were working on MAME at the time. So, so yeah, I've always been into the emulation and arcade um, emulation, especially. It's always been interesting. To Boarding me, so, is on. So, <laughs> so um, once I uh, got, I guess, uh, Actually, I'm not sure. Oh, oh, I sorry. I remember now. Um, about a year ago now, I started getting into the Amiga emulator with the Raspberry Pi and showing my son. It's like, yeah, these are the old games I used to play on my Amiga and stuff. And one of them was Rick Dangerous, which was an excellent game. And I was thinking at the time, it's like, you know, this game isn't too complicated. So it would be cool if I could play this, if they had this on the old Coco. And that would make me think, it's like, maybe I could transcode this to the Coco. And then I, <laughs> then I started uh, listening to the Coco Crew podcast because I got, I don't know, it just piqued my interest in uh, the Coco again. Then I heard you guys talking about the Coco and it's like the first episode, John's technical uh, section, whatever. He was talking about the 6809 and how interrupts work. And it's like, that was something I've never understood or, or anything about, like, Assembly sure. lines, if you just write utilities and stuff, you don't really have to worry about that stuff. But if you do games and that, that's when it gets pretty heavy into that stuff. So I said, yeah, you know what? Oh, I want to learn this. This is like a hole in my knowledge <laughs> on the on how the computers work. So that, yeah, that piqued my interest. And then I thought, well, you know, rather than porting an Amiga game, I should I should maybe try porting some something I really care about, like Pac-Man. But, and I thought, well, Pac-Man's going to be really hard to start with, so maybe I'll try uh, Space Invaders first because it's a little easier, a little older game. Shouldn't be as much to it, just uh, two colors, you know, simple. So, yeah, so I, I plugged away at doing that, learned as much as I could about the game and all that, and um, IRQs at the time, and went through a lot of the emails or the Cocoa list. Sorry if I'm rambling on here too long. No, no, it's good. It, uh, yeah. It's, uh, um, it was also cool uh, while you were working on the project, you've been blogging, uh, all your projects, you've been blogging quite a bit. It adds a lot of knowledge to the community. I think people enjoy the, the development blogs. And uh, so yeah. it's been a asset. Yeah, I forgot I was doing that too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, not so much with the space invader because it was all pretty much just learning as I go in that. Um, so I really didn't have much to share other than any little information I found from most of the information I needed. I got from the Cocoa List email group, which those guys were awesome, man. So 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 much knowledge there, and everybody's willing to share. It's really great. I you know I wouldn't have been able to do this for sure without their help, and. Uh, so anyways, yeah, plugging away through Space Invaders, did that. And then, uh, you know, once that was finished, actually, you know, it's not finished yet, right? Because it's, you have to rotate your monitor to play it. And I, I don't <laughs> right. like that. I think at some point, especially now that I know how to do sound too, I think I'll, I'll finish it and rotate it. So at least you can play it normally and add sound to it at some point. But, <laughs> but yeah, so... <laughs> After, yeah, after the Space Invaders was done, as far as I wanted, anyways, at the time, then yeah, I moved along to Pac-Man. Yeah. And, now with Space yeah. Invaders, uh, did you get any guff from uh, Mark McDougal? Actually, um, there was a certain point when I was getting almost finished that I found out he was doing it, so yeah. I didn't hear from him. 
Um, I, I think I, I was stuck at a point where, you know, when IRQ was messing me up, <laughs> funny enough, because uh, with the IRQs, you know, yeah, it's pretty much like multitasking, right? Your computer's doing this, and then it just all of a sudden does whatever the IRQ is at the same time, well, for a second, and then goes back to the regular program. And if you're not careful, your IRQs can be changing stuff that your program doesn't doesn't realize, and then your program just falls apart. And there was something that was freaking out my my uh, program at the time, and that's I don't know. I was I was trying to find out a little more information online about base invaders at the time. So maybe if I knew exactly what was going on, it would help. And then yeah, I stumbled across his uh, his um, website and had a you know his, he has a nice blog about it too. His progress yeah. over over a month or two and it was it was cool but um it didn't help me with my pro- problem but <laughs> <laughs> it was me just like yeah just you know working away finally finding out oh yeah of course using that meme debugger is amazing for that type of stuff you can break yeah. break it down anywhere you need and stop it and analyze memory see what's changing whatever it's just time consuming but, yeah. yeah eventually we got it i got the IRQ licked and got the program written. <laughs> cool. Um, well, I should have mentioned uh, who else is uh, here with us. Uh, of course, um, we're joined by uh, Neil Blanchard. Uh, hi, Neil. Um, Hello, everyone. And uh, Mike Rowan is with us. Hello. And uh, we're also joined by um, our, our part-time host, uh, Boise Pete. Hi, Boise. How's it going? Oh, maybe he dropped out. <laughs> Well, Boise's here somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Boise. Hey, Glenn. It's good to good to uh, be with you, man. Great work you did. Just really, really cool stuff. Oh, thanks. Very cool. Well, what do you do in real life? Um, I work for Bell Canada, our telephone and internet company for Ontario and Quebec. Well, and do you develop software? No, actually, software is just my hobby. Um, <laughs> cool. for, for what I do for the for our internet company is um, I just basically maintain the high speed network itself. Just make sure it's it's always running. Sure. More on the power side, like a, um, we have external remote sites, and I just make sure they're always running. You know, twenty four seven type of thing. Sure. It's just ma- maintenance type stuff. Cool. So yeah. So yeah. The I don't know. I just, for some reason, I've you know I've always loved programming, but I just didn't follow it into a career. Kind of fell into the the, the telephone company, and they've been treating me well ever since. So no reason to leave. Well, it's good to treat someone well. <laughs> <laughs> have you been uh, Have you been with Bell Canada for uh, a while, Glenn? Oh yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, twenty eight years now. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. A few more years and hopefully I can retire and then I'll be able to program my Coco 24-7. <laughs> we <laughs> would all appreciate that. Time. <laughs> hey, Glenn, mm-hmm. uh, this is Boise here. I've got a more like, I guess, a comment and a question. You know, sure. what, what you do, what you did with Pac-Man is really cool. So there's this part of me that wishes when I was, you know, 15 years old and had my Coco 3 that I had this. And if you think yeah, about it, too. there's nothing that, that could have – well, other than we have great development tools, cross-development tools like MAME and so forth today that we didn't have back then that really accelerates the development. 
But, you know, you think about how things could have been different, and there's really nothing that would have stopped that exact same piece of code on a disk from running 30 years ago. Yet here we are taking it, you know, now in 2017 when we have all these great tools. So I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on that? When you're working on something like this, you have to think about that, right? And just like ask yourself, well, what oh, yeah. if? Oh yeah. oh, yeah, definitely. It's like, man, why couldn't, you know, they add some dedicated programmers like from the companies that made these arcade games or somebody who wanted to make some money, you know, after the, you know, the arcades, you know, kind of died down, you know, around the time the Coco 3 came out. It's like if they would have hired some programmers to do a real serious copies of their arcade games. Yeah. You know, if, if the Coco had, you know, a real version of asteroids, Pac-Man defender, you know, all these games that it can definitely play. Like at the time, I think everybody would have shook their heads. Like, wow. The Coco is awesome. Let's all get a Coco, you know, right. instead of going for an IBM PC or something. It's well, like, no that, man, look, I could play a real Pac-Man at home. That's <laughs> the other thing, right? Is that the color computer, Oh, it was a great machine, but it sort of got passed up a lot of times for the Commodore 64 and other things that were sold a lot more and were much more popular. Yet, I don't see yeah, those yeah. computers today with the renditions of games like Donkey Kong and Pac-Man as true to the original as we've done on the Coco 3. So that's that's a very impressive feat. Yeah, well, I think it's a testament to the power of the Coco 3, you know. It's that 6809 can really do a lot, you know, if, if it's programmed right. But I don't think you can do that type of thing with the 6502 that's in the Commodore 64. <laughs> right, right. Or the it's Apple, just, for that matter, you know. That's right. And it's just ironic that now, 30 years later, the Coco 3 is really outshining all of them when it could have done it back then, but like you said, didn't have the programmers or the 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 tools, I guess, to accelerate the development. I would imagine. It would be interesting to know how much longer it would have taken to do what you did if you didn't have MAME and you didn't have the cross tools in hand to do it. Mm, that would have been, man, probably, I would say a year, if not more, because wow. MAME was so helpful for me. And it helped me um, get back into the Coco quickly, too, and get my assembly chops back up because I could see right there with MAME, you can see all the registers in real time, what's going on. It's like, Oh yeah, that's right. That's how that works and all that stuff. Well, you know, it probably get back into that quicker enough, but, but actually yeah, the debugging MAME was so important. There were certain times where even using MAME, I was stuck for like three days, even a week straight. It's like, why is this not working? You know, it's almost to the point. It's like, oh, I'm just going to give up, but <laughs> kept going at it and finally got it. So yeah, without MAME, I think it would have just, yeah twice as long and the tools to like lwsm it's so fast assembling the code so you can you know try things out real quick and see if it's going the right way or not right um, if you're doing it you know straight on the um on the coco itself like you know the assembly time itself would have taken a long time so i'm saying yeah probably a year um i know i was talking to um Sockmaster about that and he he did everything on the Coco. He, I think he, he used the um, the drive wire, though, I believe. I might be wrong, but um, he did it all on the Coco, and there was no um, MAME. He was, you know, he disassembled the whole thing himself. So, you know, big props to him. It's like, wow, because, uh, you know, I was 
I benefited a lot from the internet, all the information you can get out there right now on, on these uh, old games and the, all the hardware that works on them or they work off of. There's a lot of detailed information at your fingertips, luckily. But, you know, if, if the companies got behind it and did that back in the, in the 80s, they could have done that too because, you know, they're the ones who made the machines. They know they have the hardware and all that. That's what I always thought. It's like when you have, you know, official Sega version of this game, it's like I always thought that should be somebody's taken that code and trans translated it right. to that machine. You know, yeah. it's not just somebody's like, you know, they hired some guy to port it over to that computer. It's like, well, yeah. what's so official about that other than it's done by us? You know, yeah, I mean, that's, you're lucky. that's how I've always felt anyways. You're lucky in a lot of those if they even had design documents. Uh, quite often, the official port was just somebody played the game enough to observe things, and <laughs> right. And maybe yeah. they observed correctly. Maybe they didn't. Um, yeah, still yeah. missing a couple of levels here or there. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah, 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 just did a look alike. <laughs> Lost yeah. in translation. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Glenn, uh, you, you've got to do Joust, which is a 6809 uh, video game from the uh, 80s. I would imagine it would be a lot easier to do a 6809-based game than it was for Pac-Man, which I think was, what, Z80? Yeah. Yeah, it was Z80. Um, the thing with Joust, like I've looked into the Williams games because uh, I've, I've decided I'm going to do Defender next as my next game. And um, Defender is... It's pretty cool because it doesn't have any special video hardware to um, move the sprites around the screen. It's all done um, by stack blasting um, mm -hmm. the uh, the sprites on screen and that. And I've actually I've I've gotten as far as um, making my own compiled uh, blasted sprites um, from the code already, and I can I can already blast them on the screen about. Um, I was thinking it's a little faster than the way they were doing it. So that's great <laughs> because it saves me, awesome, saves yeah. me some CPU cycles. Um, but they are, they do have a little bit faster the way they erase the sprite. So it'll about, it'll about even out. But the good thing is Defender is only running at one megahertz and the Cocoa yeah. 3, we can crank it up to 1.8 megahertz, that's right? Cool. So that'll give me some extra time to play with, uh, the sound and, moving stuff on the screen because defender is a fast game eh? so yeah that, i'm looking forward forward to finishing that because that's cool um but the other williams games they have um special uh, blitters uh, hardware that actually moves the sprites around the screen without the cpu being uh used because yeah. yeah like joust is one of my other favorite games too and i'd love to see that as well but yeah i think that williams we'll, blitter we'll see. <laughs> I think that Williams Blitter can actually do some operations too, like XORs and that sort of thing. Um, oh yeah. Depending on, I think there were a couple of versions of them. Anyway, well, the the biggest problem that I can think of when you go to the Williams games is is the layout of the screen. Do you want to talk about that? Um. Well, actually, uh, Defender is is yeah, oh yeah, it is it is weird because it goes down. When right. You go um, uh, when you go through memory and you increment the, the memory, it goes down t on the left and then all the way to the bottom of the screen. Then okay. the next byte would start on the top, uh, yeah, the next but, uh, pixel over, and then down our, again. 
Yeah, I was going to say, if I recall, the, the, the bytes represent two pixels that are side by side, <laughs> but then the next yeah. byte is below it. So you have a kind it's of right a, below it, yeah. the, the, instead of going side by side all the way across, like, like most systems do, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's not even just going up and down because it, because like you said, each individual byte has some side by side. It's, it's a little weird. Yeah. It, it, it kind of makes the Apple II blush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I haven't worked out that part yet, but um, like I say, I've got the sprites working. So as long as I can get like the coordinates and where it would show up on the screen, it shouldn't be too bad. Like, sure. Up, okay. You know, at this point, the way the defender would use it and just translate that into what the cocoa screen uh, memory would look like. So it shouldn't be too bad. I'm thinking, but I haven't gotten that far. I still have to get the, the uh, code because um, they have some bank switching as well. Oh yeah, Defender. They have like um, 4K banks. Like there's, I think four of them that are bank switched in in certain locate and one location in memory. And then there's, um, I don't, know, I can't remember, 16K or something that's always there resident. So it re- it references some of that RAM and uh, de- trying to uh, disassemble that is kind of hairy right now. So that's one of the uh, bigger um, um, blocks I'm. <laughs> going to be facing but i haven't actually looked at it for the last few weeks i've i've actually started working on a um, a basic program that actually is going to take some sprite data and turn it into a compiled sprite itself so it's it's like simplifies the the manual labor of creating a compiled sprite from uh, basically you know bitmap data so i wanted to get this code um this, yeah, like I'm having some fun because uh, ever since I got back into the Cocoa, I was using BASIC to uh, decode the um, Pac-Man sprites. And uh, I was having lots of fun. It's like, oh, this is cool. It's like, man, I remember playing BASIC like this. This is excellent. So <laughs> for, for this, I'm doing the same thing, just writing a BASIC program to do the same thing, debugging oh, it, cool. and trying to make it as smart as it can to make the comp- uh, compiled sprite as fast as possible. Whatever you give it in that way. Another thing I'm actually playing on playing with is um, there's this cool demo on the Amiga called uh, oh shoot I forget what it's called now something about uh, DOC whatever uh, I'm sorry I'm forgetting the name of it but anyways it's a really cool um, demo where these balls are flying around some uh, graphics moving on the screen and stuff and I'm thinking. Uh, I wouldn't mind trying to make that on the Cocoa too. So I'm kind of sidetracked from the Defender right now, trying to get that going. And like, like saying there's lots of sprites on this thing. That's kind of why I'm building this um, sprite compiler type thing. So <laughs> <laughs> keeping busy anyways. Cool. Yeah. Out of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a lot of fun. And it, yeah. And it'll be a, you know, a tool I'll share with anybody who, who wants to, uh, compile some sprites themselves for the future once I get it up and running. Yeah, that'll, that'll save some development time. Yeah, I'm sure that'll be yeah. popular. And uh, I've always found that fascinating uh, uh, when you do this kind of development, uh, the kinds of tools that you do end up making to uh, help the job along. It's as interesting yeah. sometimes as the software itself. Yep. Yeah, like you could do it, you know, brute force the whole way and get through it, but you know, next next project, you're just going to have to do it all again anyway. So why not right. create a tool to help yourself this time and in the future help yourself and 
anybody else who wants to do the same thing. Yeah, it just just makes sense. It's like when I when I first started uh, getting back into programming, and you know, I'm asking a million questions like, how do you add sound? How do you even check the keyboard for for uh, you know a key press or whatever? And it's like, <laughs> you know, I could find all these little things. But it'd be nice if there was an archive somewhere where we had like a library of these little tools and stuff. And like my um, Pac-Man upload it, it's, you know, the commented source is all there and it's broken down in a lot of parts. So if somebody wants to um, learn how to, to uh, read the keys for, for a game or um, the joystick input, um, actually John gave me, gave me the code for the joystick stuff that I used in Pac-Man, which was really helpful. Thanks, John. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, because uh, <laughs> I was trying to get the special um, four-button controller, the any uh, Super Nintendo controller, working with the four buttons. Thinking, well, if I can get that working, maybe I can get the uh, um, the scrolling for Pac-Man. You know, you hit a button, it'll scroll to the top or bottom, right, depending on what button you were hitting. But um, I was running into a roadblock with that. I think it was affecting the sound more than I wanted or something. I can't remember why, but I decided not to go that route. Just use a regular, um, well, I didn't use the extra button code for it. So, but, sure. but yeah, like I say, the Pac-Man source code is there. If anybody wants it, there's lots of stuff in there. I've learned like even just setting up the graphic screens and everything. So, should be helpful. Anybody who's new, anyways, to assembly on the Coco should should help them. Yeah, that'll be a great resource. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had a quick question. Uh, have you looked at Miss Pac-Man? Is that much different than Pac-Man code? Uh, the code is very similar from uh, what I've heard too. Like uh, I remember watching a video on on the guys who made Miss Pac-Man, and they basically they uh, they kind of like interjected like maybe a jump in the middle of some routine to their routine to do something a little different than a jump back. So it's kind of like um, the code probably doesn't change too much on the Pac-Man side, but then there's like a whole bunch of new code for the Miss Pac-Man changes. But I don't think it would be that different, you know, it's uh, other than, you know, right. r- rendering a new new maze, different colors, and uh, Pac-Man itself is, you know, a little different sprite now. Um, and you got moving fruit. I got to add, add, add another sprite to it, but uh, right, right. I think it would, yeah, it would, it would be like, I guess, you know, you'd have another, another whole section of code to translate to get uh, Miss Pac-Man right. going. Yeah. Yeah. It that's is, true. It is a cool game. You know, I've, I've always liked Miss Pac-Man and who knows what will happen down the road. But right now I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm really well. <laughs> I am done with Pac-Man. <laughs> I'm burnt out with that. <laughs> I, I bet. So yeah. So maybe in a few years, when I forget <laughs> how much trouble it was, I'll move. Yeah. I'll move back into Miss Pac-Man. But I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Just like That's having cool. kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you get about the baby stage, and then you have another one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A couple years later, it's like, oh, yeah, now I remember why the, <laughs> what I didn't like about that. <laughs> uh, it's all good. Uh, well, so, um, we'll see. Well, I mean, I guess what's next would be Defender or whatever. Do you, do you have any 
longer uh, scope or anything in mind for you know farther down the road no not really <laughs> but, uh, defender will be enough for a while i'm sure yeah <laughs> keep me keep me super busy <laughs> um but yeah you know i do enjoy the translation type stuff and i always say to my boys it's like hey if you guys think of a game that i can make let me know and we can maybe work it out together and stuff. So, you know, if, if I do think of something, at least I have the knowledge now of how these games work inside and out. So maybe one day I'll have a, a um, my own game, but it takes imagination and that I don't seem to have. <laughs> well, yeah, I know what you mean. You got to have an idea. Um, mm-hmm. so you have to have something to work towards or whatever. And yeah, games, you know, and you don't want it to be a you know very similar to some other games. You want it to be unique at least, right? Sure. Well, games have to be fun too, right? <laughs> so I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah it's exactly. easy to say, well, I'll make this thing move around, or I'll I'll sh- I'll shoot at an apple or something like that. But if it turns out it's no fun shooting at the apple, it's not much of a game. <laughs> right. That's true. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, but you know, needs a little you, work. Yeah, just play around with something. Sometimes you'll find something that you know it's just a piece of something else, and it turns out to be kind of fun. And just don't be afraid to expand that. And uh, you know, yeah, that's might, true. And, yeah, uh, actually, yeah, yeah. I think you had a um, one of your podcasts. You were talking about that. That was that was pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, how to. Uh, how to build a game and stuff. <laughs> and if it fits on a cartridge, even more so. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the cartridges awesome. are cool. Yeah. For sure. Nothing like a cartridge. Yeah. Well, we like them. Just plug it in and it works. <laughs> Just the demo stuff. And yeah, you know, the odd time you see the, the um, thing on Facebook, like Simon's always doing something neat with some graphics and that. So, um, I think it was him who was doing uh, some circle stuff, and it's like, oh, yeah, how do you do circles in assembly language type? <laughs> and you yeah. know, that made me get back to that demo too. It's like, oh, yeah, because they're using circles in this thing all the time, and you know, just the movement. You know, it's you know, it's not just linear back and forth, back and forth. It's nice and you know, smooth animations. Like, yeah, let's see if I can work that out. So, um. He did help me a little bit with, with that, which is nice. Simon's great that way, too. Um, again, like I say, there's so many helpful individuals in the Coco community. It's great yeah. to be part of. Yeah. Well, Gwen, what have we not asked you? Um, what uh, what deep secrets do you have that's interesting to the Coco world? <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. I know you ask that to most people you interview, and I always like you asking that question, but being asked, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't have an answer. <laughs> I think I, uh, I think I've gone through everything that uh, that I can talk about with the cocoa stuff. Um, well, what about uh, a message from you? What, what would you say to the cocoa world that uh, you know, if you're somebody who's just getting just dipping your toe into the cocoa world, or just somebody who's a little curious and happens to hear, uh, you know, what, what you've been doing, you know, why, why are you doing that? Why, why is it fun? You know, why is it satisfying? What, what um, keeps you in it? Well, for me, it's, you know, the cocoa is such a 
great memory for me when I was a teenager. I've always, always looked back at those years saying, yeah, I had a lot of fun with my cocoa. And I've always known it could do more than, you know, the, the programs that were out there were, were doing. It's like, you know, we could show off this machine, see how powerful it really is to the world, right? Because like Boise was saying, it's like, yeah, all these other computers always got the limelight, but the cocoa always seemed to be, you know, put by the side. And um, I've always felt that was wrong. It's like, so to me, it's like, yeah, if you like programming, basic or whatever, just have fun with it. The cocoa is, is so easy to program and um, so user-friendly. And then you have the great community to help you along with any project you're working on. So it's, it's just why, why go anywhere else? Cocoa <laughs> does it all. <laughs> Coco does it all. I guess that's my message. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, Coco can do it all. <laughs> Very good. Anyone else? I just want to say, Glenn, again, uh, the kind of stuff that you did, like Sock Master with Donkey Kong and and you with Pac-Man, this is just great stuff. It really invigorates the community. It uh, it exposes the cocoa to more people just as a result of doing something like this. And I hope you consider whenever you call the Pac-Man project done, and I'm not, I didn't get on here early enough to know if it's really, truly done, but uh, to kind of advertise it out, there's great websites like Hackaday and other things that really highlight this type of work and kind of showcase it. So I hope you consider that. No, that's, that's a good idea. Yeah, maybe we should reach out to them. Let them know about it, at least if they don't already. The project is complete as far as uh, I'm concerned. <laughs> I would second um, that. That does really turn heads when uh, people that aren't familiar with the Coco see that uh, playing. They're they're really wowed. That's cool. The one feature I really like in the game is the scrolling. I mean, that's that's a very nice uh, added touch. It is cool. Yeah, that that worked out really well. Because like when you're uh, yeah, when was, that was one thing when I was programming. It's like I didn't want to lose any quality of the graphics if I didn't have to. And I figured, well, you know, worst case scenario, I'll shrink the sprites a little bit. To fit it on screen and they said well the coco can scroll and you know it can fit most of the screen at the same time maybe it'll be good enough if you can just see most of the screen yeah. you know you don't really need to look at the score or how many um free men you have all the time so it's like, right yeah, i'll give that a yeah. try and it worked out really well yeah it's yeah. a clever solution um it's the kind of thing that at first if you hear it at first you think well that, that could be distracting but i think you pulled it off really well um, what, sort of, what sort of algorithm did you use to figure out, you know, when to scroll up and down and, and when not to? Um, well, it's pretty much just based on where the Pac-Man sprite is on the screen. Cause you do have your, um, X and Y coordinates all the time. So mm -hmm. it's, it's once it hits that IRQ, it looks say, where's Sprite man or Pac-Man sprite going to be drawn. And if it's, you know, say North of the, or, up above the center line, then, you know, sc start scrolling up. And if you're south of the center line, then just start scrolling down. And, it, you know, it'll go one one scan line every IRQ hit. So it's not, it keeps yeah. it nice and smooth. So wow. it basically, basically that's all there is to it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, it always yeah. looks at every time it IR the IRQ is hit, it just looks at it saying, okay, I'm already down at the bottom. You're already at the lowest point, so I'm not going to scroll down any further anyway. So, but it, yeah, yeah, it's just based on where Pac-Man is. Hey, Glenn, uh, and Neil, you may have to edit this question out 
But did you catch any grief, Glenn, from uh, Nick Marentes? Because he did a Pac-Man <laughs> port probably about – I don't think it was really a port. I think he basically did what we were talking about earlier, just eyeball the original game, uh, which was a pretty good uh, rendition, but obviously not what you did. Yeah. Um, no, Nick Nick was great. He, he didn't say anything <laughs> about me doing it or have a problem with me doing it. It's like his, his game is an excellent uh, copy of uh, Pac-Man, but – uh, no, he was cool with it. Um, I think he understands the differences, you know, between his is a, you know, his version of it and and what mine was is, you know, the translation version of the original code. So, um, yeah, he didn't have a problem with it, and I'm sure, you know, it's not like we just were competing at the same time either, right? His was this <laughs> right. came out quite a few years ago, so I'm sure that helps too. Yeah, well, plus yours is like you say a completely different exercise. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's uh, that deserves some merit just by itself, just the kind of exercise you're doing. And it's just interesting to see if you could pull it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, uh, uh, there was you know, uh, at a point there where I finished the transcode and I just had some some sprites coming on the screen, but they were they were slow, it wasn't optimized like the compiled sprites, and it was really slow at first. It's like, holy mackerel, this is this is not good. Just like, you know, I just spent the last two and a half, three months, whatever it was at that point. And this is <laughs> un- totally unplayable, right? You know, sure. Yeah. It plays like Pac-Man, but nobody's going to want to play this. <laughs> and that sure. didn't even have sound yet either. <laughs> wow. Yeah, Sometimes you so, just have to power through those. Yeah. <laughs> like I say, I learned a lot about speeding up the sprites from that. And of course, optimizing the code too, where I could help big time. And, uh, and uh, added the sound and everything still worked perfectly. So, mm. yeah. Well, I Always tell you, I was cool. I was really so, impressed when you posted the um, you had, you had the the two videos side by side. One was you know actual Pac-Man, or maybe it was in Maine, but still actual Pac-Man, and then your implementation and side by side. And they were, I guess, it was the attract mode or whatever, but they did the exact same thing and pretty much at the exact same time and. You know, once you let it run long enough, you can see there was a slight difference in timing. But boy, other than that, it was just really spot on. It was very yeah, amazing. Yeah, that was that was a cool point. Just making sure it was running just as fast as the original. It's like like you're saying, it, eventually it gets out of sync because the the real game runs at uh, 61 hertz and Coco is tied to 60 hertz for the IRQ. But other than that, yeah, it was running side by side perfectly. It's like, ah, oh, yeah, awesome. I, was, I, I was really happy at that point. I saw that Finally. video, by the way, on YouTube, <laughs> and it looks fantastic. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah, and it was. I think it was uh, maybe a week or so before that. I was, I was testing the the Mame out or uh, on Mame with the uh, Coco Three Pac Man version that I did, and just getting to that second Apple stage because that's when that's about as fast as the game gets. And just seeing, okay, yeah, it's still flying at that speed because I was a little worried, you know, still when it's going as fast as that Pac-Man could go, is my version still going to be able to keep up with it? And luckily it did. (laughs) That was neat too. So yeah, those those were some big uh, steps forward or uh, points that I was happy about. So yeah, I had to share them with the world. (laughs) Here's some videos. Definitely understand that. (laughs) Yeah, we're glad you did. Yeah. Did you consider porting it to OS nine? Uh, 
<laughs> well, like I say, the sources. Actually, I, don't, I don't think you could. Uh, I don't think that'd be possible. <laughs> Might have some timing the issues. Code is there if somebody wants to. <laughs> McGlynn, are you um, are you happy with how the community has responded? Do you feel like oh, they've yeah. treated Definitely. you well? Well, like you say, there was a lot of uh, great help along the way. A lot of a lot of people on the Coco email list there that answer the questions I have and almost always have examples or offer some advice or willing to help look at the code and speed it up themselves if they could. It was yeah. just fantastic, you know? Um, so yeah, you know, I, I feel glad that I could finish the project and give it back to the Coco community to thank everybody that helped me out and, and anybody else who might, might want to play, you know, like, um, uh, Bruce Moore, um, he posted some videos on Facebook of his kids playing Pac-Man. It's like, ah, oh, that's awesome. You know, love to see stuff like that. <laughs> so, yeah, well, the, cool. community is, the community is great. And, uh, I'm it's glad good. to be a part of it. Yeah, once in a while, somebody, um, maybe a little too more, maybe more than once in a while, <laughs> somebody will post about a new project and, There'll there'll be that one guy who comes out of nowhere and says, "Wow, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard," or "Why would you want to bother to do that?" or you know something like that. Uh, I didn't see anything like that with your project, so maybe you <laughs> maybe you're just really good at picking projects. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess that's why some people like to keep their projects secret or something. I don't know. That could but be. To me, it's like you know they're. The problem is if you do um, say you're going to do a project, then it's kind of like, yeah, you have to do it, you know, and that's, that's, I think the only downside to it. It's like, you know, I've said I'm going to do defender next, but you know, now I feel like I'm under the gun. I should keep working at it, but well, that's you know, a good gotta, thing. <laughs> it is good, but um, you know, <laughs> you, you don't want that pressure. It's like, you know, I'm, you know, I'll get to it when I can type of thing. I still, you know, want maybe hack around and do some other projects. Like when I was doing Pac-Man, it was all about Pac-Man because for myself, I wanted to I wanted to finish that before I moved on to anything else. Because I know if I stop midway and I go and do something else and come back to it, it's you know it'd probably take me a month to remember where I was. Yep. And what what I had to work Without. on and stuff. So it's like just finish it. Just keep plugging away, plugging away while it's still fresh in my head. Where I am, what needs to be fixed, all that stuff. So. Yeah, um, I don't know. I guess I'm kind of scared of Defender that way. <laughs> I don't want to get into that position again, but I know I'm going to have to at some point. Right. Well, you know what? <laughs> uh, you you obviously can do it. So I I have full confidence yeah. in that. I mean, if you did Pac-Man, Defender ought to be doable as well. Uh, the other yeah, thing, too, I was thinking about – go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm just saying it, Defender is looking promising so far from what I Good. what I can see. Yeah. Well, the other thing I wanted to say, Glenn, was that uh, you need a nom de guerre, just like Sockmaster uh, had did the Donkey Kong port. You need some kind of name to kind of go with your uh, technical badass abilities here. Have you thought of something? <laughs> um, actually, I usually go by Nowhere Man is my uh, alias. <laughs> Doesn't sound so badass, though. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually asked um, Sockmaster where he came up with his name. I don't know if I should divulge it here or not. It didn't sound like it, it was a private thing. Um, he, he was just saying on um, when he old days when he was BBSing, you know, they asked for a username and password, and he had his foot up on the desk and he was looking at his socks, and he just came up 
Sockmaster. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> that was kind of kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if you want to edit that out or or what. Uh, maybe you should ask him if he's okay with that. I'm yeah, just yeah. glad he was looking at his sock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. (laughs) Knows what he could have been the master of. (laughs) Oh Lord! (laughs) All right. Well, um, floor's open. Anyone else have something to add? Mike Can't can't think of anything. Neil, yeah, I'd, I'd just like to agree with what uh, Boise was saying that, uh, you know, it'd be nice, of, you know, maybe if Glenn could get like an alias or something or like a website, because it also gives him exposure, but it, it gives the cocoa more exposure as well. You know, in different communities, see what uh, what this machine can really do. It uh, it just gets out there. That's a cool thing. I mean, Canuck Coder or something like that. <laughs> yeah, Canuck Coder. <laughs> that's not bad this is this is what our, our canadian uh, content interview for the month yeah. that's right this will just keep some of the heat off of neil with all the canadian jokes can go to someone else for a while <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> all right well i think that's probably going to cover it glenn it's been a, a a great addition to our podcast i appreciate you sitting for the interview and um thanks for having me on certainly wish you well in your future projects and as they come out we'll want to talk about those as well so save some space for us (laughs) (laughs) definitely guys always for you guys really enjoy your podcast every month thanks thank you thanks for having me on guys hi i'm mike rowan one of the organizers of tandy assembly we look forward to seeing everyone in chillicothe ohio I wanted to take a moment to talk to you about one of the great events at Tandy Assembly. That's the No Minimum Bid Auction. First, all of the auction items are donated. All proceeds from the auction will go toward the cost of the event. The auction is a great opportunity to get some big bargains on unusual vintage computer items. It's also a great deal of fun to see people, sometimes best friends, trying to outbid each other. We certainly hope you'll join in the fun at Tandy Assembly. As I said before, all of the auction items are donated. If you have any items or duplicates in your collection that you are willing to donate to the auction, we would certainly appreciate your donations. Just bring them to Tandy Assembly or contact us through our webpage, www.tandyassembly.com. Thanks, and we look forward to a great time with everyone at Tandy Assembly. All right. Welcome back, Coco Cruisers. This is John Linville, and this is going to be our tech segment for this month. Uh, we're going to cover uh, or recover uh, <laughs> a topic that I've already posted a, a blog post about. That's uh, how to embed a color basic program onto a cartridge and have it run from there. Uh, technically, I have it loads from there. It doesn't actually run from there. Anyway, I had this uh, posted on my Retro Tinker blog. I'll include uh, that link in the show notes um, so you can follow along. You know, that's sort of the idea. Sometimes writing of this technical stuff is a little easier if somebody walks you through it verbally. Uh, you can refer back to the text, um, whichever one works for you. Or, you know, if you've already read it <laughs> and you think you understand it, well, you can just fast forward through this section of the podcast. All right, so 
Well, what are we talking about? Um, so, as you know, I kind of have a uh, an affinity for the uh, ROM cartridge as a way to distribute uh, programs for retro computers, especially games. Um, and you know, typically these ROM cartridge uh, programs uh, are written in assembly language, or possibly written in another language that gets compiled down to. Well, machine language, or, you know, again, back to that debate, is assembly language and machine language the same language? Well, you know, <laughs> let's just say machine language and be done with it for now. Um, so, uh, having something load from, uh, having a program written in BASIC come from a ROM cartridge is a little unusual. Uh, so, uh, you know, why isn't this done? Well, you know, uh, Typically, when you think of a ROM cartridge, you think of professional software and uh, higher performance stuff, especially in terms of games. And so that may just be your answer right there, is uh, typically uh, you're not going to get your highest performance from a game written in BASIC. And um, also the BASIC language is often shunned by professional programmers even back in the day. Um, so... Um, why would you want to do this? Well, uh, you know, it depends on what kind of game you're writing and, you know, how important absolute performance is. Uh, you don't necessarily need to squeeze every ounce of performance out of the computer for every different type of game. And sometimes the convenience of having a load from a cartridge um, can make up for uh, uh, that lack of performance or, or it's just a bless on its own. Um... Anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, we like, uh, as I was already said, we like cartridge games around here. So we're just going to assume that you understand why you'd want to put a game on a cartridge. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I'm going to reach out and tell you I understand that if you've written a game in BASIC that you're proud of and you want to distribute, um, I think being in BASIC is good enough. You don't need to rewrite it in assembly language just to distribute it on a cartridge. <laughs> so, the, but the problem, of course, is how do you do that? There is no uh, cartload command in BASIC, or there's no uh, way to to start a, a BASIC game from a cartridge, and um, you know there's nothing built into the machine to have you do this. So you kind of have to trick the machine if you want to do this. Um, so, you know, how do you do it? Well, you can looking around in the history. You haven't been around the Coco for a while, and you remember various people's websites. And the question came up of people have been talking about putting some basic games on cartridge ROMs. As as uh, I've, like I said, I've been trying to encourage people uh, to put games on cartridge. But then some people come out with pretty good games written in basic, and so well, those could be on cartridge too. But how? Um, and so, historically, I remember that there used to be uh, a web page out there somewhere that uh, that kind of described how to do this. And I mostly disregarded it because it's sort of outside of my own interest at the time. Um, and I went looking around for it. had a little trouble finding it. I even, uh, with the help of Boise, kind of reached out to uh, uh, Robert Galt, who's pretty well known in the uh, community, at least on the, the Cocoa mailing list. And um, I thought that he had perhaps been the one that had written the page in question, but it turned out he, he didn't. But uh, 
Dr. Galt did uh, um, uh, he did summarize or surmise a <laughs> a way to do it and it turned out to be pretty close to what was already proposed. I did eventually find Paul D's Cocoa Pages and it slips my mind who Paul D actually is. Uh, if you know who Paul D is or if you are Paul D write in and uh, send us some feedback. Tell us um, you know what happened uh, to your pages uh, after you you know after GeoCities uh, why you didn't recreate them after GeoCities disappeared or, or whatever. But anyway so that's the link, the uh, the story is that eventually stumbled back across Paul D's Cocoa Pages, um, which had been on GeoCities in the history of the internet. We'll tell you that after Yahoo bought GeoCities, um, they shut down those pages, which were basically a, a, you know, an easy place to put a, a small website uh, in the, maybe not early, but kind of teenage years of the, <laughs> of the internet, uh, or at least the public internet as people know it, or the World Wide Web, shall we say. Anyway, fortunately, there's an archive of the GeoCities pages, maybe more than one, but they've been preserved to some extent, at least for now, and so you can still see this one of Paul D's pages where he describes a technique for loading basics from a ROM cartridge. Um, and like I said, I compared this to what Robert Galt had suggested, and there's pretty similar um, technique, and uh, I kind of kind of looked at both of them and, and my final result on the web page is a little bit of a combination of both um, but uh, largely originally copied from what was on the Paul D page um, anyway I'll go into that a little bit more in a minute um, so the process is relatively simple um, so you start with actually getting a copy of the basic program but not just a program like like you listed to the printer, but a pro, a copy of the program as it's actually stored in memory. And as you may or may not know, um, when you store a basic program in memory, uh, it doesn't store it letter by letter the way you'd type it out. And so instead, as you're entering the the program, um, it will recognize the basic keywords. You know things like for and next and go to those sort of things. And it assigns a number to to the various keywords, and so then when it stores them in memory, um, it instead of storing the ASCII characters uh, for those words, it'll actually store the number. The numbers are actually in a, a certain range, so that it can tell without looking that immediately this number that it just read is actually a keyword and not just an ASCII character. Uh, so it's a little you know, inside baseball on how the interpreter works. Um, but the point being is that in memory, the program looks a bit different than what it would look like if you just dumped it out to the printer. Right? So what, what and that's what we want is actually copy, an actual copy of what it, the program looks like in the Cocos memory so that we can recreate that. So we kind of, we have to extract this um, program. And so how do we do it? Well, so it turns out there's uh, some uh, places in the Cocos memory that, that store pointers to the current program in basic, the current basic program in memory. Um, and so uh, the procedure goes through and reads the start and end address pointers and uh, does it byte by byte. So it does a little math to recreate the 16-bit the, the uh, equivalent values. 
Um, and then uh, it does an actual C save M. Now that's a cassette save um, for, for like machine language. So it's, it's really the program that you would use to save an in-memory copy of a machine language program. Um, and then that cassette command C save M. And so, um, so here instead, you're not actually saving a machine language program, of course, you're saving the actual in-memory snapshot of a basic program, but the commands are basically the same either way. It's just a matter of, you know, <laughs> passing in the addresses you want to save. Um, so, so you save this out, and so I'm assuming that you're, that you're using a, an emulator reading a CAS file or cassette file. Um, and so, once you've saved the program out with the csavem command, then you use the KEKB uh, tool from the Toolshed project to get a copy of that program, uh, or your memory image of your program. So, that's step one. So you save that off. So then step two is you want to build a piece of code that actually is a machine language program, a small machine language program, that runs when the program, when the cartridge is, is well, when the Cocoa boots up and initializes the cartridge and jumps to it, as in an auto start cartridge. And so, uh, again, this program is mostly copied from what was on the Paul D page. I, you know, kind of cleaned it up a little bit or made a few things more to my own liking. Mostly left it alone because, like, he uses a lot of decimal uh, integers, and whereas I would tend to use hexadecimal integers. Um, I did uh, change one thing um, where he reads uh, the file in. He looks for four consecutive zeros as the end of a uh, file marker. The, I was only getting three, so I changed the program uh, to be on, read three. Um, you know, it works for me. Your mileage may vary, I guess, <laughs> but <laughs> you just have to try it out. Anyway, um, the blog post has a, a complete listing of this, this loader program, um, and it's pretty simple. I'll go into it a little bit uh, in a second how, how the program actually works, but um, anyway, it's there. There's a command um, for um, running LWSM as the assembler to produce uh, the binary image of the loader program. And uh, you'll see it uses a format raw for the output, and that's you know that's the the headerless format, the one that actually looks like what memory looks like. <laughs> and so that's what you that's what you want when you're doing this ROM image. Um, the next step after that is uh, to combine those two parts. So you take the loader image, you know, the raw bytes that look like what the ROM should look like. And then you immediately put after that the the in-memory image of your basic program, and copy that out together out to a, a data file that you will use for programming uh, your ROM or EEPROM that you're going to put in your cartridge. Uh, so with a Unix or you know Linux uh, system or other Unix-inspired system, that's going to be the cat command. So cat loader and then what I call cart prog, which is the, the the memory representation of your basic program, and then redirect that to eprom.dat. 
if you're using DOS or Windows or whatever, the command is different. I think that's the copy slash B and then one file plus another, something like that. Anyway, consult your DOS or Windows manual. <laughs> Alright, so so anyway, so once you've got that, you burn it to the ROM, you pop it in, and um, as long as you're, uh, well, as long as you match the capabilities uh, that are required uh, to the machine you pop the cartridge into, in other words, if you write a, basic, a, a program for extended color basic, you of course need a color computer with extended color basic in it to be able to run. Um, but um, as long as you do that, and as, uh, as long as we're not talking about a Cocoa 3 super extended color basic program, which is a separate problem that I'll, I'm going to I'm going to delay and, and talk about probably next month. Um, anyway, if you process your files these way and and build your uh, your ROM image and pop it in a cartridge. That's pretty much it. It should just boot up and run um, your basic program. And so if your basic program, you know, if basic performs well enough for what you want to do, uh, then there you are, Bob's your uncle. <laughs> so how does this actually work? Well, okay, as, as we've got it in the, the blog post, um, once you stick your auto start cartridge into the, the Cocoa, and that's an actual hardware thing where the cartridge loops back from the e-clock to uh, uh, is the I think it's the e-clock anyway back to the cartridge interrupt line that's how the auto start is detected uh, color basic uh, transfers yeah after it's initialized itself a certain amount it comes up and it'll transfer control to the loader program which is the the, the machine language program we talked about before the loader program um, does a few more initializations to kind of to kind of make the yeah, all right, let's start over. The loader program does a few more initializations to um, to make the color basic interpreter work, and then it um, copies the uh, memory image of the basic program over to where it's supposed to go in the Coco's memory. Uh, and as part of that, he then sets up the the pointers uh, that the color computer interpreter. Uh, uses um, for determining the start and end of the basic program in memory. So basically it just sets up uh, the memory image in a way that the, the color basic interpreter will find sane. <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, so the, like I said, the loader program figures out where the, the memory image is um, that's been concatenated onto the end of it in the EEPROM copies it out to the actual RAM uh, in the COCO. So this is similar to, to what would happen if you were doing, say, a C-load or a, a uh, you know, a, a load of a disk program. It's just uh, instead of doing something, or executing a routine in, in the basic ROM, uh, you're doing it all on your own now. But anyway, the, uh, the final little trick is um, the loader program then takes and uh, enters into the keyboard buffer for color basic the RUN uh, letters is for the run command uh, this is kind of neat uh, <laughs> so rather than uh, you know take advantage of its own knowledge or whatever to start the program it just puts in the run command into the keyboard buffer it's just like someone typed it 
and then it starts the uh, the command interpreter. He reads off the buffer, says, "Are you in?" And it just run. <laughs> Are you in? Kind of sounds like a question. It's funny, but uh, he executes a run command, and it says, "Okay, well, what? Where's the color basic? Or where's the basic program? We've already set that up." <laughs> so the basic program works just like it's supposed to. So anyway, that's pretty much it. Uh, the the you just have your own program do the equivalent of loading, you know, what a C load M or, or, or I'm sorry, what a C load or load command would do. It sets up memory for the interpreter and then jumps into the interpreter as if nothing's happened. <laughs> yeah, that's just it. Uh, at the end of my blog post, I had um, several I had several comments on my own that I call errata notices where I made a few changes. Uh, after the initial edit, um, pretty simple stuff. Um, uh, there is someone else posted a question on Mia M. I'm not sure who Mia is. Um, she, uh, she asks about, um, she says she has no experience with Color Basic, but uh, on the 6502 versions of Microsoft Basic, uh, basically you just would be able to, to point the start of Basic program to the EEPROM and then skip everything else and just jump into the uh, into the interpreter, and that was really what my initial thought had been too. But uh, that's not going to work, uh, partly because, or at least that might work for some program. I'm not 100% sure, but it won't work for most programs because the way the interpreter lays out memory, it has those like I said, it has those initial pointers. Um, where you have the, the two pointers for the start and end of uh, where the, the program is stored in memory. But the thing is, is the Color Basic uh, uses that end of the basic program uh, as also the pointer to where variable storage begins. <laughs> I think it's variables, possibly it's arrays, one or the other. And kind of has it built in, and since it's not a separate pointer, there's sort of this built-in dependency that any variables need to be stored immediately after the basic program. And so if your basic program is then stored up in cartridge ROM <laughs> and you declare a variable and try to write to it, that's just not going to work. And uh, um, in, in this case, it probably won't even matter that you can't write to it because it will probably just confuse itself when it tries to uh, do math based on assumptions that certain variables, certain locations should be after locations that they're instead of they're coming before and things will get all confused well anyway just don't do that <laughs> but uh no um like i said the, copying the the basic program into ram recreates basically the same environment that you would have had if you had typed in the program um on a cassette based system uh, which is uh, probably you know the best you can really hope for. Uh, now, if your basic program depends on disk access, well, uh, <laughs> you're going to have to do something different then anyway, because you're not really going to be able to put that on a cartridge, um, since the cartridge ROM and the disk uh, ROM uh, occupy the same space. Um, anyway, so that's about it. Uh, it's a kind of a cool trick. You can uh, take your basic program and uh, get it on a ROM cartridge and have it start up immediately at boot up. Uh, it's probably the easiest way to get a, a basic program to start immediately at boot, especially if you don't want to have to have a a uh, 
the floppy drive or whatever tied to uh, to the machine and have it running uh, uh, HDB DOS or one of the other DOSs that'll do a uh, auto exec dot bass <laughs> um, uh, so anyway uh, maybe that's not such a big deal since that includes drive wire but it's a thing um, I guess I'm kind of rambling at this point so I'm going to go ahead and uh, wrap this up um, well like I said uh, this solution will not work I think it will work on a Cocoa 3 um, I'm not even well. Yeah, it should work on a Cocoa 3, but it won't work if you're using the Cocoa 3 Super Extended Color Basic commands. Uh, to make that work, well, you got to do things a little bit differently. Uh, so, if uh, you're interested in that, uh, like I said, I think we'll probably cover that next month. Um, um, it's not really a difficult task, but there's a a little more to it and I'd like to be able to explain why it's necessary in the first place so if you're interested in that uh, or you know whatever <laughs> please just stay tuned and uh, we'll get you uh, we'll get that answer for you um, so anyway uh, uh, thanks for listening and uh, you know Coco forever 911 what is the address to your emergency I'm not taking it anymore Meet Ryan. He's been up all night debugging a program on his color computer. If only he had subscribed to The Rainbow. The Rainbow features more information and more in-depth treatment of the TRS-80 color computer, TDP System 100, and Dragon 32 computer than anyone else. If only Ryan had joined the thousands of people who say that the rainbow is an absolute necessity for their color computers. Don't become a statistic. Twelve issues of the rainbow is just $22. Don't become another Ryan. The Rainbow. The Color Computer Monthly Magazine. La-di-da-di. La-di-da-di. You know what? La-di. La-di. You know what? Now beat this. La-di-da-di. We like to party. We don't cause trouble. We don't bother nobody. We're the Coca crew upon the mic. We talk retro-ish things and we do it right. All right, Coco Cruisers, welcome back. Uh, we're going to have another little discussion this time. Um, we touched on this in the news uh, section about the, uh, where was it? About the, the, Save the Machine Preservation Group, uh, which had to fire. Uh, so they had, um, you know, it was a, essentially a little museum. Um, and they had a collection of, of vintage machines. Uh, I'm not sure how extensive a collection it was, but I think it was big enough to that if you're a retro person like me, that you kind of say, oof. <laughs> um, and so... Um, Anyway, um, this raises the question. It's not the first time I've heard of something like this, uh, where uh, you know a vintage computing uh, uh, museum or something gets uh, burned down or destroyed or something. Um, and so it raises the question for me: Is is our museums really the best place for vintage machines? And I guess we, you know, we certainly want. Some some representation of vintage machines in museums, um, but um, you know, there's probably some people who think that all machines are older. 
a certain point it should go to, to museums. Um, just as there are people who think all sorts of antiquities uh, <laughs> uh, belong in museums, old cars or old pickaxes or old whatever, <laughs> um, old power drills. Um, but, uh, you know, and so I'm sure there's extremists on, on it, that issue, just like surprisingly sometimes there's on almost every issue in the world these days. Um <laughs> But, uh, you know, like I said, I'm sure a lot of people think that's a good thing. Put your old computers in the museum, then they'll be preserved forever. But I guess my question is maybe maybe a, it's better or, or at least some portion of – it's better to have at least some portion of the world's collectible computers or vintage computers actually in the hands of private collectors because, generally speaking, not all of our houses will burn down at the same time. <laughs> um, so there, I'll set that one out on the table. Um, well, Neil, how about you? You want to start this time? Yeah, I'll uh, I'll jump in here. Um, yeah, I, I definitely agree. I mean, they should be at uh, you know not just museums. I mean, museums are a good place to be, but uh, you know also uh, you know with private collectors and not so much just for even uh, you know for safety. But you know, it's nice that these machines are getting used. I mean, if everything's just in a museum, you know, it's kind of boring, right? You know, especially if they're not even right. turned on, they're just uh, behind glass or something like that. There are some cool computer museums, uh, like Mike knows. We went to one in Brantford a few years ago, yeah. where a lot of the machines are plugged in, and you can actually use them. So that's kind of cool to see stuff like that. If you're into old machines, but you don't want to own every one of them, but you want to check them out and play around on them a little bit, places like that are kind of neat to see that are you know popping up. Yeah, definitely. That was um, uh, I didn't say it in the intro, but that was definitely one of the things I had thought about on this topic was. Uh, you know, once you once they're in the hands of a museum, in most cases, they're completely out of circulation, or at least only within the circulation of a few curia, cur, curators <laughs> or docents. Uh, watch me exercise my vocabulary. Um, that uh, you know, those people get to use the computers for whatever they want to do with them. Um, but of course, they will t- obviously they'll tend to be very conservative uses or whatever. Uh, they're not going to sit down and write, you know, uh, envelope pushing arcade games to run on the 60 year old machines or, or whatever else. Now, maybe nobody else will either, but I think it's more likely it'll happen if it's it's in the hands of uh, some private collectors. But, uh, what do you think, Mike? Yeah, no question. Well, I think first of all, many of the you know, the computers are in museums, so they are being preserved, and that's good. And I really tend to think of museums as, you know, for future generations. It's not so much our generation, but when we're all dead, uh, people will be curious about it, and they'll see it in the museum. Uh, but, yeah, we definitely don't want to see things disappear. Uh, I know that that fire was uh, terrible, and it was connected to, you know, so many other uh, social – Yeah, organizations and social events and uh, uh, where people actually were – working with this stuff and uh, it's a it's a big loss but uh, having it in a museum isn't going to help them replace any of that uh, they'll have to slowly rebuild it and uh, like i said it won't be won't never be quite the same you know it's funny i've got my a lot of my collection in a uh, temperature controlled storage just because of the the quantity of it and I, you know i don't want it rotting in a basement somewhere and uh it wasn't for four months after i got that there was a flood and uh <laughs> Thankfully, there was not, uh, you know, there was barely any moisture in my unit, and uh, I had things up on shelves and actually had 
most things in uh, plastic sealed tubs. So, uh, but you know, it is, it does give you pause when something like that happens that you, you couldn't replace some of the stuff or it would be awfully hard. But I think, uh, no. there's no beating having it, having it spread out, uh, across many people that are actually using it. And that's not going to happen in a museum. Cool. Well, I think we're largely in agreement there. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that said, I don't think we're discouraging anyone from putting something in a museum. But uh, uh, I think maybe what we're calling for is uh, more museums to follow the example of, well, maybe the Living Computer Museum uh, out in uh, uh uh, was it Seattle uh, yeah, or yeah. Uh, or the the museum, the smaller museum that uh, that that uh, you and Neil visited uh, last year? Um, things where people actually let you touch <laughs> the, uh, the the machines, actually let you experience, you know, what it's like to type in a basic program. Um, maybe what let you experience what it's like to record something on cassette tape. <laughs> um, you know, and some of those may requ may ultimately require uh, people with with real skill at building museum exhibits to be able to produce something that's both usable enough to hold somebody's interest and <laughs> and teach them something, and and you know, sturdy and rugged enough to actually survive contact with the public. <laughs> um, which relatively small bits of my collection are are rugged enough to uh, stay in contact with the public. <laughs> that's actually, that's why uh, I originally uh, built that uh, arcade style joystick for uh, Farfall is because I didn't want, I wanted to be in a, I wanted to be in a, a local maker uh, 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 show. <laughs> and, uh, um, and I didn't want the the regular public to tear apart my 30 year old joysticks. Um, so there it was inspirational, right? Um, uh, yeah. to build something that, uh, yeah. a little tougher. Um, yeah. And it's not very realistic. And so I can't imagine dumping a bunch of Cocos or Apple twos or Commodore 64s or whatever in a storefront anywhere and expecting them to survive contact with the public for very long, or even to draw enough of, uh, of the public to support the, the endeavor. Um, but maybe the change, maybe it'll be different in the future. Uh, I don't know. I guess that's one other twist is, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, going to Cocoa Fest, I had my son with me and we stopped in Dayton, Ohio, and we went to a Packard automobile museum uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Packard, it's a, a you know a make of of automobile in the United States that uh, stopped being produced. I, I guess in the 50s or the 60s or whatever. Um, uh, anyway, uh, so it's a museum full of old cars and pretty cool, but you know most of them bone stock, which is cool and all. But you know, living real life, you know, lets us know that not all cool cars are bone stock, right? <laughs> so head down to the uh, the drag strip on a Saturday and you'll see a lot of cars that are kind of old, but uh, they've been tricked out in quite a different fashion. Um, and so I guess the question there is if we only had, if we, if we stuck, if we did say just stick with the museum, would the museum have any of those hot rods in it or would it only have the bone stock machines and would we lose something in the process? Anyway, 
probably not a lot to discuss there. So <laughs> I think we probably beat this one to death. Um, any, anyone else have a, have a, a point to make or, all right, we'll no, just call this one quits and move on with the show. What's going on, Coco Cruisers? It's Mr. Gameplay Goodness himself, OG Stevie Stroh, and you are listening to the Coco Crew Podcast, the greatest podcast in the history of the human language, with your host, John Linville, Neil Blanchard, and Myro. Back to you, Coco Crew. As John would say, hello, Coco Cruisers, and welcome to Neil's Corner. Here we are, just you and I, at the last segment of this podcast. I am sure you all can guess what game I'll be talking about this month. Ah, you guessed it, Pac-Man. And I'm not just talking about any old version of Pac-Man. I'm talking about the arcade transcoded Z80 CPU to 6809 CPU version by Glenn Hewlett. Here's the rundown. This arcade port requires a Color Computer 3 with 512K of memory. It was released in July 2017 by Glenn Hewlett, a fine Canadian fellow at that, So this game is brand new and hot off the press. If you have been living under a rock or completely off the grid with no internet connection and haven't heard of it yet, which I'm sure you have by now if you've been listening to this podcast in order, you can download it on Glenn's very own blog site at www.nowhereman999.wordpress.com. I also highly recommend to check out Glenn's blog site. He has some very well-written, informative blogs explaining the process of transcoding the arcade version of Pac-Man to the Coco, and also other related Coco programming tips and tricks. Alright, on to the game. I was very fortunate one day in mid-June, and I got a surprise email from Glenn with an attached copy of a beta release of his Pac-Man port. I just couldn't wait to finish up the job I was on and head home to try it out. I got home, copied the disk image onto my memory card, and popped it into the Coco STC. Before I knew it, I was playing the original arcade version of Pac-Man on my Coco 3. It just didn't seem real. The cool thing is, I played Pac-Man so much back in the day at the arcades that I knew this version very well. So playing on the Coco, I could see this was the real deal. This version has it all. From the original authentic music, silky smooth speed, and all the cutscenes present. It even has the feature of gaining speed around the corners from the ghosts. Now, because the arcade version has a different resolution display, Glenn programmed the game to scroll up or down depending on where your character was on the screen. I must say it works really well. As you play the game, you don't even notice it. It's very smooth, and it just works. For the beta version Glenn sent me, I must say it was excellent. Only thing I notice is a little bit of flicking from the gimme chip while the game was running. This is, of course, all fixed now in the final release version. When I updated to the final release version, another thing that impressed me was the game option screen Glenn put in. The background graphic is super awesome high res and perfect for picking game options. Well there you have it, the real arcade version of Pac-Man for your Coco 3. Go give it a spin and see how many cutscenes you can make it to. One last thing I'd like to mention here before I go. As Boise mentioned during the interview, it blows my mind this can be done on the Coco 3. To have a real arcade version of Pac-Man in Sockmaster's Donkey Kong, with no special hardware required. It just goes to show how powerful our Coco really is when it's left in the hands of super talented programmers. When I read Glenn's blog site web address called Nowhere Man, I thought to myself, Nowhere? This guy is definitely somewhere with those programming skills, and he's right here in the community. Keep up the great work, Glenn. Looking forward to your future projects. 
Just before we end this podcast, I'm going to leave you with this special song. Compliments to Boise Pete for finding this in his archives. I finally got to talk to Kevin. They handed me the phone and I said... Hello, darling. It's been a long time Since you worked on level 2OS9 But I'm begging you now Please hear my plea Kevin, darling, set the upgrade free Well, I spoke to Kent Myers today. Mark Griffith, he gave his okay. Bill Dickhouse said that the contract was dead. It expired back in 93. So I'm leaving it all up to you And you know what I hope you will do So I'm begging you now Please hear my plea Kevin Darling set the upgrade free Last night As I sat by the screen, I must have been having a dream, for what did I see on the old CRT, but the words OS9 level 3, so I'm leaving it all up to you. And you know what I hope you will do So I'm begging you now Please hear my plea Kevin Darling set the upgrade free So I'm begging you now Please hear my plea Kevin Darling set the Well, we have now reached the end of episode 27. We hope you all enjoyed this episode. I'd like to thank our host John Linville for making it through another huge set of news articles and publishing another awesome tech segment. Those news articles are definitely not easy, with having to research, talk, and index catalog all of them. I'd also like to thank Myro for his support on being a part of this podcast and making all those hilarious commercials and bumpers. A big, big thanks goes out to Glenn Hewlett for giving us some of his time to record an interview and hear the latest on his recent Pac-Man game. Last but not least, thank you all for listening and supporting us each month. You should all have enough to keep busy for a month now. Write up some fun basic programs to burn onto a ROM card, and when you're tired coding, you can play arcade version of Pac-Man. Until next month, happy cocoing and cocoa forever. <laughs>